Production. Recorded live. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Podcast Winterfell, the fan call-in show. A proud member of the DVR Podcast Network. Also on Patreon, patreon.com slash DVR. And uh, we want to welcome you again once and for all. No, nah, not for all. Cause we're going to do this forever. Psych. No, nah, but... Uh, want to thank you guys all for coming in again and uh, being part of this, listening and or participating. We have a few people in the chat. Uh, we have a few people on the call. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a good time tonight. And we're going to talk about our, now that the dust is settled, we're going to talk about the overall season, the overall series, if you want to get into that or someone wants to touch on that, uh, how it, you know, comes together with this season uh we're going to talk about some speculations for next year and what's to come we have some questions that need to be answered last week on the fan call-in show i kept it rather rather brief on the speculations and the theories and the crackpot tinfoil hat type ideas uh and we just stuck to kind of analyzing and breaking down this the episode but now that we've seen it and they thought about it and talked about it with a bunch of people and talked about it with work coworkers and thought about, you know, the connection from the scenes and the character arcs, you know, it's been a little time to process all that. So some theories might've changed, some thoughts might've changed. And we we're here to, to bring that to everybody who subscribes to us here at the DVR podcast network podcast Winterfell. That's right. So we got the hard questions. I don't, I don't really have the answers to them right now because I don't want to give them away, but we're going to ask some, you know, some things like, you know, how about what is John going to, how is he going to react? You know, we'll get into that a little bit heavier. Uh, I want to know about little King's Landing things that we didn't really speculate too hard on. Uh, We talked a lot about wigs and uh, costuming and set pieces. And it was a great breakdown of the episode last week on the last fan call in. We had some awesome contributors that are usually in with us. Uh, we had, you know, uh, Shadowcat, we had Jinx, we had Susan, we had there's a lot of people in there giving us good stuff. And uh, tonight, we're going to bring in the first caller, who I'm sure has plenty to say, because he always had a lot to say. That's why he started this podcast, and we're keeping it going in his honor, the Mr. Podcast Winterfell, Musical Concepts, Keys to Lost, U.S. Who Cast, Matt Murdick. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me, man. And can I just quickly say uh, thanks so much to you and Shadowcat for coming out to the gig in New York City last week. That was great fun to meet you both in person and uh, hang out with you guys for a minute. Oh, our pleasure. In case anybody out there listening d- didn't know, uh, I- I'm in New York, and Shadowcat's also in New York, and Matt came with his band uh, and played an awesome, awesome blues night at Terra Blues in New York City. So I had to go see him and link up in person. We've chatted on Skype. We've videoed on Skype. We've talked on the phone. We've talked on text and for many years and did podcasts. And it was great to actually meet in person and to watch Matt slam on the keys and just bring the blues. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. I enjoyed the music and uh yeah, it was great to see you, Matt. We had and uh thanks for coming and playing New York and letting us all know. 
<laughs> well, like I said, thanks for having me, and you're too kind about my flaming. I, I was more like uh, icing, but that's another question for the dragon, right? Is it ice? Is it flame? Yeah, it, it seems to be the one thing a lot of people are harping on. Um, at this point, it doesn't really make a difference, right? The wall's down. Uh, you didn't see a lot of melting, but you didn't see a lot of crumbling. So it it really is like a toss-up. Maybe they left that wiggle room for, you know, what's to come, what's easier to write, what's easier to CGI. Not sure. What do you think? Well, I, I, I'm a fan of the ice thing just because uh, throughout the, the the lore of A Song of Ice and Fire, there, there there's mentions, all kinds of mentions of, of ice dragons that breathe just ex- so extreme cold. And when I looked at that scene, I, I really personally, and, and I'm, People can disagree with me, and that's fine. But I personally, what I saw was ice shattering ice when the when the blue hit hit the wall. Um, but it can, it could be either way, uh, and I will accept either way. Either way will be fine with me. But um, I think, like uh, on the podcast that I did with Donald uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we pretty much agreed that it would be much more cool to have an ice dragon rather than just a dead dragon reanimated. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, it goes with the theme of the, I guess the whole book series, you know, song of ice and fire. Now, you know, John and Danny, you know, cold North and like this whole, everything seems to have like a balance, you know? So we've ridden that the whole way. So it would make sense. Yeah. I, I just really like to see it, but um, regardless of that, man, uh, I just, I feel like, um, you know, I, I'm trying to work on a, a, a cliff notes for the season seven finale. I've, I've got about halfway through it. Um, and, uh, I, I was really interested to hear your take on the music of it. Did you enjoy it? Do you feel like it enhanced it? Did you feel like it did not enhance it? What do you think? I did like the music. It wasn't as, I guess, I don't know how to compartmentalize as the other seasons where, like, everybody's theme was, was like, singular. Like, this was more like a, a cinematic type of uh, score in the last couple episodes. I felt like it was very, it, I, you know, I, you would know way better. and You would pick up all the cues. Like, I, I don't know if some of them were mashed up. Um, you know, like, you, I used to love hearing you break it down because you would put in perspective everybody's theme. And I didn't really find a lot of singular themes after like maybe season seven when John and Danny like, you know, set out that plan and everything, you know, started working together. And it was, I, you know, it just really made the episode that much better, but I didn't find any like, I don't know, like, you know, uh, uniqueness about it. Yeah, I agree. There were, the, uh, it, the interesting thing is uh, for me in terms of musically speaking is like, you know, as these characters have been so far apart, it was so much easier just to focus in on a single theme. But even like in this first Dragon Pit scene, you know, you had a mashing of the, the Unsullied slash Dracarys theme with the Reigns of Castamere in the very first music cue. And it was really cool the way it was all put together. I think that Ramin has done an excellent job of creating themes that work together. And it reminds me a lot of when I used to cover Keys to Lost or used to cover Lost with Giacchino, the way that he could make different motives work together um, and how that, that came together in a lot of scenes. But for me, this one, 
was really fairly extraordinary. Uh, the, the one that I would compare it to would be Blackwater in uh, Season 2, Episode 9, where you had uh, the Lannister theme colliding with the Lord of Light theme and, you know, the way that he intertwined that during the battle. Um, this one, um, literally, like, at the same time, you had different things and, and the way that he used different um, key centers to create tension, but uh, I'll get to all of that at some point, somewhere down the line, a few months down the line when I can actually finish this thing. But uh, I'm sorry, I, I just wanted to, I just was wondering your opinion if anything really stuck out to you. The Dragon Glass, uh, as it's called in the Season 7 soundtrack, uh, where they were in the cave, that is an extraordinary new kind of original piece. Everything else was kind of a mashup but outside of the John and Danny theme. So um, that was a, a lot of fun for me this year to see how he would uh, make all of that work. And I thought that he did it really well. Yeah, I even heard some, it might have been the last episode, but I think it was this episode when, with the Aria stuff, I heard a couple of the jogging keys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially um, when she was following Littlefinger around, there was a lot of that. Um, that was, was right, the, that, that was last episode, I guess. That was eight, number yeah. six, right? Yeah, it was uh, five, six, somewhere in there. Uh, all I know is that uh, it really, uh, it worked when it did that. And I, actually, let, let's talk about that, uh, you know, doing a little bit of the, that little, uh, what I wrongly called a long time ago, the Sinister Lannister theme, which it turned out to be the Chaos is a Ladder theme. Um, that was a nice way to end Littlefinger's life, was just with the bells playing that little melody as the blood dripped out of him. Very satisfying for me. Absolutely. I mean, I mean that, that scene was satisfying for everyone, but looking at it from the music side, you know, I, I got to check that out again. Um, cause I was so into the like excitement of it. Um, I want to actually focus on the music then, you, you know, if, if you're saying it was that good. Yeah. I really had a good time, uh, just with this whole episode and, um, I'm looking forward to season eight, however long, we have to wait for that. feels like now that Dave and Dan have taken a cue from George and they're just making us wait for the end, just like George is making us wait for the next book. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it's them or so much maybe HBO, you know, like, because they... Oh, they, no, they, I, they, I, I completely understand that it's not... <laughs> I'm just making a joke. Yeah, they seem to be on track with starting production uh, not too long from now. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's... I mean, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of editing and decisions and, you know, they're going to want to give us a top quality product. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't obviously don't want to wait, but I'm fine with waiting if it's going to be excellent. I know. Yeah, me too. Uh, absolutely. Um, I just, you know, this, this wait seemed really long. The next wait's going to seem even longer, but that's what, that's what we will, that's the price we will pay to get good television. And it has been excellent television. Yes. So, I mean, I think what Susan said before we started uh, the recording about maybe covering some of the other pieces that are going to come out and the, the, the offshoot type books and the history stuff, it might be a, a really good thing for me to get into, you know, uh, maybe not reading what? all the, you what? know, not You're reading all read the books. books. What? Well, what? no, I heard there's a, no. a picture book out. Susan's going to read them to me and I'll chime in. And, and I'll see. <laughs> It'd be like a live audiobook podcast. 
Well, I can tell you uh, from doing a lot of book podcasts with the, with Susan that she is an excellent reader. Uh, Kelly and John, uh, when we were doing the Grand Northern Conspiracy thing, uh, just gave us tons and tons of lines, and we always thought Susan was the best out of all of us. So. Oh, that's great, and we do have her on the call a little, coming up a little bit, folks. It's going to be uh, a good night. So, Matt, let's ask you uh, the hard questions. What's your okay. three words? Not, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> what do you think? Like, what do you ultimately think? Like, uh, you think it's going to focus on the big battle, or you think it's going to go back to the politics of Westeros? You think that's going to the battle is going to be small with the, the whites, and then it'll be more about politics, or it'll be vice versa? Well, I, you know, the way that uh, Cersei set everything up with Jamie at the end, um, I think we're going to get both, and I think that that will be fun that way. Uh, because nothing, nothing makes trying to fi- fight a, a huge em- enemy that's on the outside uh, harder than having to fight on the inside too. And uh, I, I think that that's going to make things very dire for all of humanity. And, and um, you know, it, it will result in one of two things: either Cersei will come around, or Cersei will have to be ended. That, 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 that's the only, that's the only two possibilities because the greater force out there uh, does have to be fought. Um, so we'll just have to see how that all plays out. I don't have any predictions as far as that goes. You know how I'm not very good at predictions. So, um, But I, I do feel like I do feel like we're going to get both. I feel, I feel like, you know, John and Danny and whoever is going to be up there trying to f- defend humanity and Cersei's going to be cutting away at them at, from the inside. So um, that's, that's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the, the the struggle. I I just I'm having a hard time still. You know, I I've been talking a lot with you know friends and different people about the show uh, since we recorded last, and you know, throughout listening to some of the podcasts, I just keep going back in my head to why would Cersei allow Jamie to leave? Like we we saw him outside of King's Landing, or at least outside of the castle on a horse. With, like on a bluff with snow coming down. So we know he left the immediate reg- like castle. So is he going to be tailed? Uh, you know, it, it, it's so weird that she would just let him leave. He knows the whole plan about the, go- about the Golden Company and, you know, everything she's planning. So that seems like a valuable piece to just let go to your enemy. I agree. I agree. Um, what you have to wonder is... And I've I've never really thought this before, but um, if she really, I mean, if Jamie said he was going to leave, the time to take care of that would have been in the moment with the mountain, and she she let him go. And I I just wonder if she just has washed her hands of it and and said, you know, he never. I I I honestly don't feel like Cersei ever loved Jamie as much as Jamie loved Cersei. And so um, Cersei seems to be of this mindset to me, at least as far as this character goes, that, you know, if you're not my, if you're not my friend, then you're my enemy and, and um, be damned what's happening. Everybody, she knows that everybody's focus is on the North right now. And I, I feel like that maybe she feels like she can do whatever the hell she wants to do in, in time in order to uh, get things in place to where it won't matter if they come south. 
if the if John and them comes out. Um, she said that she thinks that there's a vulnerability to the dragons. Otherwise, you know, obviously she's realized that something has happened to the third dragon, and um, you know, she's gonna she's gonna go with that. You know, and and Jamie be damned. Hmm. Yeah. I. All right. I mean, you know, I, 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 I get the like. I guess shell shock factor that she, he actually walked out, and but she's so reactive. I, I just, to me, I just can't imagine her not saying like, "Stop him," you know. But, I, you know, I, maybe she's got another trick up her sleeve, um, you know. And, and you're right. Maybe it's going to ha- happen quickly because we know how fast Euron can get to uh, Castle Rock. So, you know, he maybe he gets right across the narrow sea real quick, brings them guys back real quick and stuff happens well, fast. And, well, Euron can at least get to the Golden Company by my math. Euron can at least get to the Golden Company and start to board them by the time that Jamie gets to Winterfell and can tell anybody about it anyway. Um, yeah, he's not, he's not he's, he's, he's willing to Gendry. send a raven. So He doesn't have Gendry speed, so yeah. You know, uh, and, and we, we might see that in the passage of time in just a single scene within a single episode, right? But uh, all I'm saying is that um, um, the way the math works out as far as actual travel time to me, then, um, you know, Euron can already be on his way back with the Golden Company by the time Jamie tells anybody. And now that the, now that the, the, the Army of the Dead has broken through the wall, the focus has to be north. They can't worry about Cersei right now, you know. Let's let's assume that Tormund and Beric survived, which I think that they probably did. Um, they're gonna somehow get word that that the the army is coming, and as everybody converges at Winterfell, they have no choice but to go north. So no matter what Jamie says about what Cersei's doing, uh, it won't matter at that point. Hmm. Yeah, I it, it's. It's definitely going to be interesting. I started, you know, also the Tormund and, and Beric thing is another funny meme, meme-filled, uh, you know, I guess, butt of jokes for the social media platforms. And But, they, you know, it is kind of funny. Like, it, it, it's one of those show tropes. Like, these guys are just, come on, run, and they get out just in time. You know, and you see all this crumbling. But it, it's uh, it's going to be another one of those, They, you know, I, I really hope they explain it because – if they don't and make it, you know, sort of like the season six, I mean, uh, episode six where we, you know, a lot of us were having logistical issues. Like, you know, I was trying to think of what, what might work. I was thinking maybe like Tormund and Barrett go North after they cross and kind of flank them and track them from behind. Um, but I don't know how they're going to still play into this. Like after, you know, even, you know, like you said, with all the, the fire or ice or whatever came out of the dragon, or just straight magic. We don't really know what it was, but like, it didn't seem like when ice melts, it would create like a, a water flow or like some kind of thing that would wash everything away underneath or around it. Um, it didn't seem to crumble into pieces. It just seemed to like come down. So I don't really know, you know, how they're going to write their way to saving Beric and Tormund, but like we already kind of got a, a hint when uh, Beric says to the Hound, you know, I'll see you again. Uh, you know, so I, I'm I'm figuring he has some kind of, you know, foresight into into his future, seeing as he's yeah. been dead, well, I, dead so many times. 
and his, uh, his even his statement to John as far as uh, what their purpose was, why were they brought back? Um, it seems for Beric just to die on the wall would not be the reason that the Lord of Light would have brought him back the last time. So, or, or over and over again. So, uh, there's got to be some kind of greater significance to Beric, and that's why, since he was with Tormund, that I feel like they both survived. Yeah, I hope so. I, lo- I mean, I, I love those, the, the at least the Tormund character. Beric is all right. He's a you know uh, a little weird this uh, this series this season, um, but mm-hmm. he didn't really stray from I guess what we saw before. It was just his. He was very sure of everything he said, and it just it, it made me like wonder a lot, like what he really knows, like because obviously he's with the Lord of Light. They're on like they were on some sort of mission claiming to be without banners, but I think they had ulterior motives, and Melisandre went back. Like, there's, I think there's more to play here with the Lord of Light. That, that like, Beric knew about the Night King being the source to stop everyone. Like, how would he have known that? When they were figuring out that it's like a hive mind, and that, and that the, white, the walkers, you know, would kill the, the whites if you kill the main walkers. How would they know then that the Night King would kill them all? So, you know, I, I think there's, there's going to be, I hope, you know, I hope we get some answers to that. Yeah, yeah, and, and we're just going to have to wait for that to play out, I guess. But uh, um, actually, it's, it's kind of a logic, uh, I, don't, I don't know why he's particularly pointed him out, but since they had come kind of to the deduction that the, the White Walkers might be animated by, or the, uh, the Whites might be animated animated by a certain white, you know, um, it makes sense that since we, we at least as an audience, since we saw the Night King raise everybody at Hardhome instantly, that if that theory is true, then obviously defeating the, the Night King would possibly destroy the army of the dead, um, or at least most of it, to the point where it might become manageable. Um, and, and in fact, I, you know, uh, a discussion that Donald and I had was, you know, why did the one white survive? Well, was he um, turned by the Night King while those others were turned by, you know, the one that John killed? Uh, it, it, they've left just enough gray area where they can write themselves out of it in, in any way possible, to be perfectly honest. Uh, yeah. But I'll probably I'll probably be a fan of whatever explanation they come up with, no matter what. I think I don't agree with you, and and you know it's so convenient, and thankfully they have uh, WikiBrand that they could just look whatever they want up at any time, and then just like figure it out that way through Brand and be like, yeah. oh, here's the backstory. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, they can figure out the they can give Brand a vision that will show all of that. So we better get some of that stuff. I need, I want. A little cla- a little uh, closure at the end of this yeah. whole thing. Do Do you think there's enough time? I mean, I'm kind of almost feeling like um, because there's a lot of stuff written in between the lines with George's books, and I'm wondering if Dave and Dan are trying to do the same thing, um, and not unlike the way you know uh, uh, Damon and, and and Carlton did with Lost. You know, let let people come up with their own explanations for things. What do you mean? Because, it, it, we know what happened. The atomic bomb went off. And Julia was in the hole. <laughs> oh, you're not talking about that fake season they made at the end, right? 
I am talking about the fake scene. Oh, my God. No, I hope it's nothing like that. I hope that this show does not do that to us. I want a little bit of answers. I'm fine with a little bit of, like, mystery of what's, you know, going to happen in the future with the whole crew. But I want answers. I want magic. I want to see, like, seriousness. Um, And I do think they have enough time. If they're going to do, like, these these, uh, movie-type episodes, then it'll almost be, like, a, a full you know, 10 hour season. Um, so I'm thinking they could pull it off. All right. Fair enough. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how frustrated you are at the end of season eight. I have, I'm worried that you might be a little frustrated because I like the way that George writes in between the lines and we may have to go back and look in between the lines on the television show. Um, just the same way that, uh, us book readers have to do with George, but, um, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, answers would be straight answers would be good, um, but this this isn't this isn't Breaking Bad, man. Yeah, no, I know. I'm I'm still waiting for Pyatt Pre to finish his uh, his hit. So you know, I'm never gonna get that. <laughs> the Warlocks are pissed. They were trying to get her. I want to see that magic stuff. Right on, man. Right. All right. On. So. Uh, well, you want to hit another topic, or you want to you want me to bring in Susan, and we'll uh, get back to you in yeah, a little bit. Man, you need to move on. I'll stick around, though. Thanks for having Excellent. me, Tim. I really appreciate it, brother. Uh, so it's we're we're the ones who are lucky. Thanks for thanks for calling up. Right on, man. Thanks. All right, coming at you, one of our residents, one of the smartest people to bless us on the show, Susan. Welcome. Hi, Kim. You all are too kind. I get too many compliments here, but thank you very much. Uh, I mean, you know, your compliments are well-deserved because you were really, really excellent on the deep dive the other day, and you brought that, I guess, uh, suspense from the call-in show to the the, uh, deep dive when you're like, yeah, I'll just talk about that then. So like you know you helped promote the show like you're really you're really doing it big for us we appreciate you and uh my gosh you just you hit the right topics uh you know you even had Mike like just going yep all right you know like you you didn't have you you got him a couple times so it was real good to hear you on that well, it was a lot of fun I really really enjoyed it and uh, you know I just I love the uh, book series even more than the television show so it's great to be able to kind of expand on talk about that in that that forum and it was really good to hear matt here too and i would like to make um one uh comment on something you guys were talking about while i I was thinking about it it just came up when you all mentioned the golden company and and they're coming over one thing that will be interesting in that is that jorah before he hooked up with uh, Daenerys and her brother through uh, that Illyrio Mopatis who set them all up, you know, way back in the first season, first episode. He was serving as a sellsword for the Golden Company. And that is a show fact, not a book fact. (laughs) So the interesting thing is there is, does he have any friends there? Will he be able to have any influence there? Hmm. Yeah, I I picked that up, too, from... uh you know, a couple of podcasts, um, and I didn't find that to be a spoiler at all. But, you know, that, that's just like history of, of Jorah. Um, so I, I was actually glad to know that. 
And it did make me think that, like, it, are they going to have, you know, an inside guy or is he going to see someone and, and they'll respect him a whole lot? Like, we don't know. I'm, I mean, maybe you guys know, but we don't know. His, you know, all I know, he was he was with those guys for a little bit. So I don't know if he, he left in shame or if he left by choice or if he just used it as a means to get some money to make his way to the Khaleesi. You know, you know, I, I, we don't know. Jor has a, a very cool past. It's like checkered. It's, it's some things are good, some things are real shitty, some things are noble, some things are like dickish. So I, I think that it, it's it would be cool if he had some kind of intervention. But I, I just don't know. You know, sell swords are you know they're after the money. The nobody else seems to really have a lot of money to offer. Like Dan, you know, Danny's got power with the armies and the dragons, but she ended slavery. She ended all that stuff. Like she made, you know, uh, you know, over in, in Estos and, and Marine and, and uh, young Kai. So like, I don't think she took riches with her. She was looking more for weapons. So she can't pay them off like the other way, you know, somebody trying to buy them back. So Jorah may have some kind of awesome story or, you know, respect that hopefully can change these guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, if he could possibly sway them over to her side, I mean, they could be looking at, uh, you know, getting their, their rewards and their riches when she wins. But I agree that is a little bit more tentative than being paid gold up front, like Cersei would be able to, to give them. But, uh, yeah, there isn't a whole lot of history or background about Jorah's time with the Golden Company. And, and I don't even think in in the books he has had a path to the Salesforce Company. But, I, I, I frankly, I can't even remember if there was anyone specified. But in the show, I know it specifies the Golden Company, which has a, a really unique history with the Targaryens and everything. Anyway, so um, it, it's going to be going to be fun to see how uh, they play a role next season. I know a lot of people are looking forward to seeing the Golden Company come into the story. So yeah, me too. So with kind of with that, I'm going to ask you kind of a bookish, showish question. You might know something that you know could answer this. If the apparently the um, I forget the guy's name, but the banker from the Bank of Bravos that was with Cersei, he yeah he was there when she kind of got word that John was going to prove to her that you know the 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 dead are real, right? Doesn't like they're privy to that information, right? Like wasn't then he leave right when she found that out and then said prove it and stuff. What I'm, I'm a little bit confused now. All right, the banker so when with who? He said, "We'll lend." When she said she was going to get the golden company, he said, "Well, we'll you know we'll also be able to provide." Didn't didn't he know of the threat from the dead coming as well as the Danny problem? Not that I'm aware of. I don't I don't think he heard that at all. Okay, so as far as as far as we know, it's just. They know just about the the infighting between the politics of Westeros. They don't know the right. dead. See, because right. I, I I just find that like it's so weird. Look, you know, I have a, the map on on my wall, and I look at it a lot, and I'm like, why why wouldn't these people be terrified that these you know the Walkers are there, and and you know the Night's King and the whole army, and why wouldn't like the Golden Company just stay? Like, nah, we're cool. Like, I don't want to get involved with that. Like, I might die and become a you know a dead and uh you know zombie and a killer you know they don't want to get get involved with that so 
I feel like once they see that, they would cut and run. Almost like the the guys Stannis hired when they saw the magic with Melisandre, they, a lot of them cut and ran. So mm-hmm. I, I I don't you know I would just stay home. Well, you know, do you what do you yeah. what do you think? Do you think they have a piece in this? Do you think they have a reason to want to fight that? Um, no, I don't think they necessarily have a reason to want to fight that. But if they come over for uh, the gold to support Cersei and they're not not aware of it, um, it's going to take them having to encounter it before they decide. But you're right; a lot of them would probably not want to stick stick it out for that. There's no any point in it, and. Uh, uh, yeah, the banker, that's um, uh, Tycho Nestoris. <laughs> right, Mycroft. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, yeah, like, even, you know, like, when Matt said about the the dragon fire ice being possibly ice, I started thinking about, well, why wouldn't they just start freezing the water and they could cross everywhere and go into Essos and just take over everything? Like, they, I, to me, that the dragon then becomes a really powerful tool if it can really make ice and 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 that's like a a very cold substance you could start freezing the water and making land bridges you know mm-hmm. ice bridges mm-hmm. so yeah it, it, I mean, we don't know i mean like the the long night that came before when that happened uh don't know how it, it seemed to have affected uh, the whole world in some aspect or another so i'm not really sure um and there is something too, about how the White Walkers bring the cold with them, and things could get extra cold when they come. You know, like things will freeze up and stuff like that. So, yeah, you wonder if in the middle of winter, when all that's going on, how much of the water could possibly freeze. It's uh, the narrow sea there between Westeros and Essos. It's not that big of a body of water. Yeah, if I if I was Danny and I knew all this, I'd fly right back to Karth and just chill there. Like it was a nice nice place in the desert, <laughs> nice and warm, away from all that chaos. Just seems a little unnecessary if you know that there's escape. But I, I, they want civilization on Westeros, I guess is what they got to put up with. Right, right. If she if she wants to be the paragon that's uh, standing up to say that I'm going to. Uh, fight for mankind. I was doing it over there for the slaves, and these are my people. This is my destiny to be the ruler of this country. So, like Stannis, I've got to. Stannis said he had to, uh, uh, you know, fight for the kingdom to win the throne instead of, you know, winning the throne and then then helping the people. Yeah, I guess it's that pride. You you, you got to find that that mixture. Right. Right, yeah. I think she's committed now. <laughs> yeah. With her dragon gone. Especially with her boyfriend, King yep. of the North. Yep. Um, which that also does remind me, there was something I wanted to uh, especially expand on a little bit with you from our last discussion we, we were talking about. You brought up the the, uh, the quote about every time a Targaryen's born that the gods flip a coin. And I want to just clarify on that, that yes, that, that's an accurate quote, but that doesn't mean that 50% of the Targaryens were mad. It wasn't like a 50-50 thing. There's a few of them, but much more of them were not crazy than were actually crazy. So wait, what you know, kind of were, point is this then? Well, 
Well, you know, I guess they're just, you know, you're taking a chance. You're taking a chance because obviously the the is madness that has come up, you know, come out in the family at different points in time. But there's definitely a lot more of them that, that didn't succumb to that um, when you really start to get into history. And uh, and actually, even, too, when you start to get into history, uh, once they, uh, you know, the, the 300 years that they ruled over Westeros, there was a fair amount of marrying in with some of the other great houses as well. So it wasn't always marrying their sisters or, or close relatives. Yeah, I actually, uh, after we talked the other night, I pulled up the fa- uh, the family tree of the Targaryens and they did marry outside but then they brought it back inside it was kind of crazy like it's it's such a peculiar family tree it doesn't it spread is. out e- yeah evenly like it comes back in it's very wild yeah yeah different generations seem to uh decide that they wanted to embrace that Targaryen history or not you know some of them thought that that was that that, that doing that going the traditional way was uh, important for them, and other ones uh, didn't like that idea. So it just kind of depended on what was going on at the time. And of course, when the, they had the dragons, there was the the idea that that there was uh, an issue with the blood of the Valerians that could bond with the dragons, and that that was an important component. But once they didn't have dragons anymore, then they didn't really have that as a concern. Hmm. Yeah, these Targaryens. I, I mean, I guess back when they were around, it was LGBTQ question mark and Targaryen. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you you're talking about wanting to expand on some things and go into some, uh, uh, you know, additional information. I mean, going through the whole uh, uh, the different generations of the Targaryen family and what was happening, you know, in, in all those at the different times with the different kings. There's some fun stories in there yeah that that sounds like maybe uh maybe we'll do like class with susan and you could like school me on all that in the off season that'd be like a good podcast <laughs> yeah, i'd love to do it because i have plenty of questions but i'm i'm illiterate so i can't read the book i only read text chat and magazine so i'm limited how about uh the um uh, uh illustrated books Oh yeah, I could see those. I could see those, and and the illustrated braille books with the little bumps. I could see all those bumps too. Yeah, yeah. The uh, you probably heard people talk about the Dunkin' Egg series. Yeah, that's one I actually was, was thinking about getting on the audio book because that sounds really cool. Because that, that, that oh, I yeah, like yeah. I I love history. I like the history and lore stuff on the Blu-rays. Like that stuff's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are great, and they actually. I mean, there's three of those. George was planning a bunch of these, and they followed these two particular characters, one of them who did become a Targaryen king. Um, and uh, the three stories that are complete and are out now, they have an illustrated version of, you know, illustrated story version of each of them that's, that is really nice. You can get it on Kindle or you can, you know, purchase it as a hard copy. They also are in the audio uh, version as well. But, um, you know, there you've got uh, a lot more pictures and a lot less text. Now, is that, that's Maester Eamon? This is Master Eamon's brother, yes, yes. Right, okay, because yes. when, he, when he was, yeah, when he was dying, he said something about dunk, egg. I believe. Was it uh, egg? He said egg. Yeah, he said, uh, you know, egg, I dreamed I, I dreamed I was old. It's like right. his, his last words. 
Right. Yeah. So he uh, he was one of the better uh, kings. He was very progressive and wanted to do a lot of reform, primarily because he had grown up. When you read these stories, you find out that uh, he had spent a lot of time on the road with this uh, hedge knight and um, how they ended up getting together in the first place and so forth. I won't spoil the story by getting into any of that with you, but um, uh, because of his experience and exposure, he really learned about the people, the regular people, not just the nobility. And as a result of that, he wanted to do a lot of things to assist and help that aspect of the society. And uh, he wasn't very popular with the nobility because of that. So, And then his children uh, really shook things up because that's where then you get into starting to get towards Danny's line because uh, um, his, his oldest kid didn't want to... He had, he had made um, pledged matches with uh, different houses like the, the Baratheons and the um, uh, Tyrells and you know, several, he had like five kids and he had them all pledged to have these strategic matches that were supposed to help the kingdom. But all of his kids, in one way or another, didn't allow that to happen. His oldest one ended up marrying a commoner, so he had to give away the throne. And then his next two kids, they decided that they loved each other and they wanted to go traditional Targaryen and ran away and got married. And uh, they were the ones that ended up ruling them. And that's where Danny's line comes through there. That was her grandfather. Yeah, Targaryens, they just, they are really like a soap opera. That should be the spinoff. I mean, we, we joked about it on the call end, but it really should because that's like, it really is a soap opera. It is. There's some great stories. A lot, lot of fun. And two, I mean, there's two civil wars that happened within those 300 years. Targaryen, you know, the first one's Targaryen against Targaryen, and the other one, the one, the later one that came after the dragons, that first one was called the Dance of Dragons, and that's where they ended up losing most of their dragons. And then the second one um, was a Targaryen, the Targaryens against a bastard Targaryen branch. And uh, that's where you get the Blackfires and the Golden Company is an offshoot of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I I definitely hope they explain at least some of that origin of how the you know the Golden Company, you know, are they they're I guess what are the exiled Targaryens, right? Right. Yeah. And so the thing about that is because they were uh, from this uh, bastard uh, branch that uh, was trying to seize the throne at the time then you would think, well, maybe they wouldn't want to align with Danny then because we're always, the Blackfires were kind of, uh, you know, trying to get the throne away from the Targaryens. But um, but I don't know, you know, it, it, could, it could go either way, really. Just kind of yeah, depending. Seems, but they, they have a very seems, interesting history. It seems like a couple of generations have probably, uh, you know, moved on and maybe forgotten a little bit of the bitterness. I, I, I feel like that, you know, knowing that, and knowing the the Jorah thing, I feel like there's, it's just very hard that, to imagine they'd stay with Cersei. Right, right. Barristan the Bold, you know, remember Sir Barristan, right? But, uh, of course. Yeah, okay, well, Sir Barristan was, uh, killed the last of the Blackfire line. He was, uh, and he was leading the gold company at the time, and he was this crazy a character called Melee's the Monster who actually had a, a like a little extra head growing out of the side of his shoulder. 
you know how you sometimes have like like twins that uh, they don't properly grow in the womb and there's like some remains conjoined twins. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of like that, but it, but the one it, it's not really alive. It's more like oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, like sometimes right. an appendage so, or something like that. Right, right. So it was this great big huge beast of a man with this little head sticking out from the side of his main head. And uh, Barristan was the one who slew him, and that was supposedly the end of the male line of the Blackfires. Hmm. Very cool. This is why we love having our resident encyclopedia on. <laughs> yeah, and this is the stuff I, I uh, really uh, get off talking about. So. Cool. So whenever you want. You know, to. <laughs> yeah. Now that we are. Uh, broke that down a little bit let's talk about upcoming what i want to ask you a question that it's kind of tough uh i don't know if you've even thought about it but now that the whites have breached and the, the army of the dead have breached how with what means do you see it being possible to defeat them boy i tell you i mean that dragon changes so much um because uh there are just so many unknowns at this point. You know, I mean, part of the thing, and this is also, this is holds true with the book readers just as much, if not more. We've seen less of the of the uh, uh, Army of the Dead in the books, really, than we have on the TV show. Uh, there's just so little known about what is the actual motivation of these uh, creatures, if they have a motivation. You know, are they trying to, will they try to uh, conquer the entire kingdom? Do they have a specific uh, place that they're trying to reach or go to? Uh, what's going on? And it seems like at this point in time, they've all always stuck together as one great big mass. But are they going to break up some now? Um, you know, there's, there's several White Walkers, so could the Night King break his army up into different stuff? I'm not very good with army or with, uh, you know, military. Yeah, like terms. units, different units. Yeah. Right, right. You know, and, and with him on the dragon, he can he could kind of go wherever he wants, and and, uh, and overlook so. the different units from up high. Right. And, and kind right. of you know move them in. I guess how he sees fit. I, it, it really. It, I I have been talking with one of my buddies the last couple of days, and we just keep trying to imagine how you're going to be able to defeat the the de- army of the dead. It just I I can't see. How it's possible? I, they, you know, I we thought about possibly Jamie, maybe Jamie gets there and tells them to build the scorpion, and they make the you know uh, dragon glass tips on the on the bolts. I mean, it's just there's so many small things, but they're so insignificant. Like if you really use that dragon correctly, and you know move the army correctly, you, you could just start wiping out region by region by region. And if they don't have fire at hand to burn the bodies there, like John said, like all King's Landing, all those million people, they're going to just rise up and become more of the army. So it just, exactly. yeah, it's, it seems almost impossible without a magical wall of ice to st- keep these people contained. Well, not people, these beings contained. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, very hard for me to, to see. But now going back to what you said, the motivation what that that would help kind of put it into perspective what motivation do they have like is it as simple as they just 
really want to go down to Dorn and get Dornish wine? Like they're just making their <laughs> way there. Like, you know, or is it they want total domination? They want revenge. Like if they really want their revenge, the children of the forest are, are dead. They got them. So those are the right. ones that made the, the Night's King from what we've learned. So, I mean, that's, that's over with. I mean, unless, unless it's, they want to warm up, it's really, you know, they don't like the cold. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I mean, are they wanting, like you say, total domination? If they want to just kill every living uh, being uh, uh, left, or are they going after some other specific purpose? Like you say, uh, could it be revenge? Or you know, some people, there, there's a, another thing back in the history about this uh, pact that was made, um, and uh, this was back when, uh, I, uh, I think when the first long night ended, and it was a pact between the children and men and so forth, and that was done on, um, on I, uh, the God's Eye Lake that's at Harrenhal, that's in the middle of the of the whole country, and some people feel that uh, there's some special things about that place, and maybe the Night King's going there because of you know, it's a treaty that was it wasn't wasn't lived up to, you know, who knows? So, you know, I, I think one thing is, you know, they've got these strategic castles that have some special powers and, you know, some of them, like if Winterfell was built with Bran the Builder, uh, you know, there may be magic within Winterfell, uh, you know, as, as was with the wall that helps it to be uh, a good place. And especially, I mean, a lot of people think that just the name of it itself, Winterfell, that that was the place that winter fell the last time that was the end of the long night. So it seems like that's going to be strategic. You've got the airy that's, you know, way up there in the air. And, of course, the dragon changes that now. But without the dragon, you know, that would be a difficult thing for people, you know, for the dead to reach that. Um, and, you know, some of the other strategic places. So you could think that, that if men were organized and they were able to pull up in these strategic special castles around the land and they could fight from there, I mean, they could use flaming arrows. They could use uh, arrows with obsidian, uh, uh, you know, points on them. So, you know, there's that. Um, and, of course, uh, Danny's dragons then are going to just have to be how how uh, much of a factor are they going to be able to play in it? It seems like they're going to be the only thing that's going to be able to defeat the the other dragon or the, the Night King, I would think, unless they're able to shoot that dragon with obsidian. Right. Like I was saying, like if Jamie, if they find out they could make the, you know, uh, a scorpion, which was like the, the, the big giant crossbow uh, right. that Braun was shooting at uh, Drogon with, you know, there's, it has to be something like that. But, like, I like what you said, though, about each castle having some kind of mystical element to it. I'm hoping that's the case. Like, I want, now we're, we're here. We've built it up slowly with all this magic. We got heavy-duty magic at the end of the season. Now it's time to see the magic. Like, like this is, like, when we were just talking with Matt, I, you know, I said, I want answers. And he's like, well, you know, they might not give it to us. And he was, you know, being realistic, but... Those are the kind of answers I want. I don't need, you know, like the whole entire history, but I need to know sort of how things are working. I need a motivation. I need answers to that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, right now where we're at, 
I just cannot figure out one method that they could take this whole army down. And I think that Danny's calculation or estimation of 200,000 of them is way off because either that, or like you said, there's another unit somewhere else. It just, they, it seems like they have way more than that too. You know, it seems like 200,000 were at hard home. I mean, it just, and they got so many more at hard home, all the, all the wildlings. And it just seems like a low number. Uh, you know, and then Cersei says we have a million. So uh, it, it, right. it's, it's, it's weird. And she's getting 25,000 to help. Like it does that. The numbers don't seem right. Um, right. Yeah. You know, I agree. And, that's, and that's, something else that something else that's been a question all along is as the night King and his army of the dead cross over these lands that they haven't been on. And there are people that are buried. There's dead that are buried in the lands. Is he going to be able to, raise all the dead that's been there before to bring, you know, to add them as well? You know, I, I don't know what the limitations are to that. That's always been a, a question. Yeah, I, I went as far as even thinking about Ned. They didn't burn Ned. They put his his remains in a box and Littlefinger brought them to Catelyn. So, like, is there going to be a Ned? Like, it, 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 <laughs> right, if, they could, if they could do it from the grave, it's going to be a whole game changer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, something special about the crypts of of Winterfell and uh, kings that are buried down there. Uh, that they have they these swords that they put on their uh, on their graves, and they say they're to keep the evil spirits from escaping. Is what they say, which is interesting language. And uh, they're these old iron swords that I think I might have even heard on this uh, podcast people talking about the fact that iron is one of the those types of things that traditionally people mad seems to interfere with magic. It's one of those properties. So perhaps in the ancient times with the previous long night that they knew some ways to protect from the dead rising up. Yeah, a lot of speculation. I just <laughs> you know, just want answers. I want to find out. I, you know, it's it's going to be a long winter for us all until we get answers or even some kind of plot line to follow because it's just, it, it, you know, as as much as it felt tidy and it started closing things up and killing off, you know, B, B plot lines, it's like now it's, you know, the hard questions. It's, it's not just three little words and proclamates of the week. It's real hard questions like what's really going to happen? What's, what's the major outcome? Because we only have a few episodes and is only a few possible storylines. So, I mean, I even went a little crazy thinking about Cersei and the wildfire. Cause one of the things they said, you know, John was like, there's three things that can stop them. The, you know, Valerian steel, the fire and, and the dragon glass. And, and she's got, she knows how to make the wildfire. So I thought that might be an angle she might use. So to even like shield herself or something, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, wildfire. That is, that is a good uh, additional idea, especially how much of it is uh, left laying around King's Landing. And as you and Matt were talking about, how much is the story going to revolve around the fight between the the living factions versus the living and the dead? And I think that a lot of people up until this season thought that it was going to end up being that the final season was going to be all the one great big war. But now, you know, it doesn't look like that. And so, you know, that even makes you question, well, 
how many, how far into the season could it be that maybe they could take care of the army of the dead and then the remainder of whatever's left is going to be back to what goes on amongst what's left of the living and how they're going to work out, <laughs> you know, the final question of who's going to, who's going to sit that iron throne if it's still there or whatever, you know, there's the, with Cersei still being in play and you're on too, obviously those things are still uh, questions that need to be addressed. Sure do. All right, Susan. Well, I definitely love that whole little conversation there. If you want to hang on the line, I'm going to bring in the next caller and uh, we'll get back to you in a little bit. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Susan. Okay. All right, everybody, podcast Montefel fans, you're in for a real treat. We have on the line with us very own pot of casts, Roberto Suarez. That's right. Hey, if you guys hey, haven't been hey, listening, there, there, there he is. You heard him, Roberto of Pot of Casts. How are you? We're doing good tonight. I uh, appreciate you calling. Uh, we're big fans of your show and appreciate all the support you give to our show. And I uh, would love to hear you give some input, breakdown, thoughts, or anything about the season or the episode, and let's hear what you have to say on the fan call, and welcome. Sure thing, Tim, and thank you guys also for all your uh, ongoing years of support and friendship that we've developed through the years of podcasting together. Um, I, uh, I wanted to follow up on one of the points you were just discussing about the how to uh, kill the, uh, the White Walker army or to do away with them. And I think they, they've kind of given us a clue with the incident in episode six where they killed the one uh, White Walker and uh, the whites around him died, implying that they had been created by, by that one White Walker. And I think basically the solution they're hinting to is that the ultimate creator of all of the whites and White Walkers is the Night King. I think you take out the Night King you take up the entire army. I think that's the way they're going to play, play this out. Yeah, it, it definitely alluded to that, especially with the way Beric was telling John. And I love, I, you know, always subscribe to that hive mind theory with them. It always seemed like that's how they worked. And I'm, I'm glad that that's there now. And yeah, I'm right. You're, if you take down one, you'll probably take down like a small unit of maybe 20 or 30. And, you know, the, you'll have a bunch of white walkers. Uh, it would be cool also to see the hierarchy of how they work. Um, well, the we, white. We, know from a, we know from a few seasons ago when we saw the origin of the Night King, that, that the Night King is the original uh, white walker. He was the first one created by the children of the forest. So if we assume that from him, all other white walkers and whites emerge, and I think we've seen how the white, the white walkers are made when live uh, humans are converted into white walkers, but dead humans are converted into whites. Ultimately, it all changed back to him. He is at the, the top of the, of the hierarchy. So I think you take that, that, one, that one element, you're able to destroy the Night King himself. I think the domino effect goes down from there and you can take out the whole thing. I think that's the one primary vulnerability. It's the, it's the porthole on the Death Star in the, uh, in the White Walker army. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I think the same thing. Um, I also, 
I, maybe you can answer this. When, when we saw the, like, I guess the meeting of the minds of the, the higher up white walkers, uh, the higher up walkers, the, they're, they, they looked a little different than the regular white walkers we're used to seeing. And it's, I know it's not the Night's King, but it's like, what are the ones that are like right under him in like his circle? I think those are like the children. Like, remember the episode where we saw him converting one of Caster's uh, babies into a white walker? Right. Um, you think I that's think them? Those, I think those are them. I think that's what happens when a creature who is alive and perhaps even taken at birth are converted into white walkers because they're not dead. They're not the reanimated white. They are rather uh, a more powerful version, a more a more uh, sim- more more similar to the Night King himself than just a reanimated creature from a dead body. So I think that's where the difference is. And so I, I would I would guess that the Night King throughout history uh, has come into contact with uh, live creatures that live humans or humanoids that he's been able to convert into a full-fledged white walkers who are probably uh, just below his level of power, but not quite at his level. They're like the next line in command. And then below those, then all of these uh, folks have maybe the ability to resurrect from the dead, but the Night King is the only one who's able to take a live human like a baby and turn him into an actual white walker. So I would guess the Night King has the power to do both, create white walkers and whites, and then the white walkers to create have the ability to create more whites. But that power of actually creating uh, white walkers is reserved solely for the Night King. Yeah, I, you know, I, that's almost exactly how I, you know, understood it. But it would sure be nice to to get a little, a little, just another little you know, backstory, because that, that, that thing with the, the, the children of the forest, that, I mean, that was so helpful, and that was, like, mouth-watering. Yeah, and that might be the kind of thing that Bran, as he is finally, you know, I, I was reading an interview with the actor who plays Bran, and he was saying that, that he doesn't have the level of expertise that the previous Three-Eyed Raven has. Like, the, the, the previous Three-Eyed Raven, who was much older, had had a lot of time to kind of digest the whole of history, and so he could access all of history at once. Whereas Bran uh, is still learning how to kind of digest all of that information. And so he said that he is more like a person in a large library where he has access to all the volumes of history, but he has yet to finish reading them all. So it still takes him some time to access some of that information. So maybe what we're going to see is that as Bran becomes more familiar accessing those volumes of information, he will be able to flesh out more of that, more of that story and, uh, and you know, perhaps give us a better idea of how a whole White Walker threat works. Yeah, I, I, you know, originally, before we did the season, I, one of the things that I wanted was I kind of thought we were going to get at least half, if not a whole episode, of just Bran going back through things and and we were going to see more of young Ned and I, I really thought we were going to see that stuff and we we didn't but I I think at some point we're going to have to and and you know it was 
seeing the access to Bran and what Bran has and how he can he can do it, it's totally understandable that you would need decades to process everything and, and place it. But he has instant access. And with when he originally said that he needed to to speak to John when he just got back to Winterfell and was talking to Sansa, um, I think I always thought he had a bigger picture in mind. Like he had a plan for John instead of his parentage. And, um, and apparently I was wrong because he made a big deal about it with Sam and how they have to tell John. Uh, I don't see why that's as big a deal as figuring out how to stop the Night's King, but it might have something to do with it. It might be, it might give John confidence or some kind of power he has inside him that he didn't know, you know, so there might be more, but Bran is definitely the, the one we need to see more of to just give us more, even if they're not shown, just tell us more things that we can, I guess, solidify and, and accept as fact. So then we could build off of that and understand it better. I think it was also a way to show that Bran is still limited in his power, because remember he was he, up until the point when Sam arrives in Winterfell, he knows that John is the son of Lyanna and Rhaegar, but he still thinks he's a bastard. He says he should be John's fan. It's not until Sam tells him no that you know he actually is a legitimate son, and, and he, he's able to then access that volume of information that he realizes the truth. So even what that, what that shows us there is that even though Bran has access to the information, he's not aware of all the information yet. He hasn't absorbed all of that information yet. He still needs the time to be able to do that. So maybe working with John and knowing the threat of, uh, of the Night King being now imminent, um, they'll be able to specifically ask him for those pieces of information that he knows he has access to, but is not quite aware of yet. Sure. It's like when, when the internet first came out and there was no directory. And if you didn't know where you were going, there was nothing to just browse and start checking. You had to go to a specific place or not use the internet. So it, it makes sense that, that, you know, that that's how he would process it. And, it, you know, to seeing how old the, uh, the other three out Raven was, you know, it makes it, it puts it into perspective how right. you need time to process. And to also, and he, and he knew, and like, he knew that the three, the old three R Raven knew that going in that he, he didn't get enough time to get Bran ready, but he had to do what he can because of the of the Night King threatening to destroy them. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you for the little explanation there. So, uh, sure, I mean, it's all speculation, but you know, <laughs> that's how I'm yeah, interpreting but, it right now. I'm also looking at it from the point of view of how much time we're going to get next season because the reality is with six episodes, even though they're extra long, um, they're going to have to kind of make some decisions of what they're going to be focusing the story on. So uh, I know that, you know, a large portion of it will be dedicated to dealing with the White Walker threat, but then at some point we're going to have to get back to the game of dealing with the Seven Kingdoms and the whole the political dynamics between Cersei and Daenerys, and now apparently John. So, um, so yeah, trying to think about if there's an expedient way to deal with the White Walker threat, then probably they're going to go the route of kill all the main White Walkers as a way to then destroy large uh, sections of the army at once. Uh, you know, that, that's that's my my guess is that that's the way that that's going to go. I I have to. 
agree with you because it makes the most sense. I, I think what every what most of us really really enjoy is the deep political angles and motivations of these characters. So the magical element made it fun and like created like a a whole side pain in the ass for this whole story. But it's going to show us a lesson, I think, in the end, how, you know, they're going to either come together or they're going to fall apart. And that, that, you know, this circle and the whole, you know, breaking the wheel, it's a, it's a reset. And and we're going to, you know, they're either going to have to learn from the history, like we've been kind of getting foreshadowed this whole time, or they're going to fail. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it would make more sense. And I would, I think I would enjoy it better if it was, kind of wrapped up quickly with the army of the dead. And then they, you know, finished off with how they're going to leave Westeros. Which is a little bit backwards from how a lot of us have been theorizing in our podcast. So many of us thought season six was going to be the season to resolve the seven kingdoms issue. And season seven would be the season to deal with the white Walker threat. But it's almost like they've reversed that there were, we have finished season six focusing on the white Walker threat. And I guess, and I'm thinking that the final season will see that portion of the story resolved prior to then coming back to the Seven Kingdoms and finishing off determining who will sit ultimately in the Iron Throne. Yeah, I mean, that would be the show I want to see because it, 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 you know, we, we got the way they, they set it up, right, it, it, we all, I think it was like a, it had to be a, a pretty good majority of all the podcasts I listened to really anticipated it being a complete like Marvel team up this year of all the houses and, and, and factions and they'd all settle everything. But all, you know, all it really did was destroy all the B plots and tidy it up. And, and then when you, just when we thought we were getting some unity, Cersei's right back at her game and it just kind of brings it back to the same old place which is cool in a way, um, but it's nice and tidy that, like, you know, there's not so many moving parts in this anymore. Yeah, that's one of the things that the, the producers commented in one of the behind-the-scenes comments is that as we move into the last season, the scope starts to become more compressed. You know, that the show started very wide, opening into all these characters and all these regions, and now we're seeing the show reaching its point of focus where things are narrowed down, we're dealing with less characters, we're moving to less places, and we're going to focus on kind of the end game as everything else kind of reduces into this final stage of the show. Yeah, so now that we uh, kind of, you know, went there, uh, give, give me uh, something that you really that you didn't talk about on your podcast that you really liked about this season? Well, I, uh, I, you know, I think overall, I, I, think, I think this season, uh, what I really uh, enjoyed was um, getting some of the resolutions that we had, you know, kind of closing out the chapter with Littlefinger, the reunions, uh, bringing the Starks back together and Winterfell, feeling like it's the place like it was before. Um, I, uh, I, was appreciative of the way that they handled Thursday because going into season, uh, going at, into the end of season six and thinking about season seven, it was I, I couldn't see how Thursday was going to be able to uh, 
to, to have a, a, any type of winning strategy. And from early on, she was able to really kind of deceive her way into getting, gaining support and, and, you know, being in a position where she still is uh, a considerable threat to the Seven Kingdoms. So there were some surprises there that I really appreciated. Some of the areas that I thought were a little bit uneven were, you know, the pacing, which I know has been an issue for many of us, but uh, at some point we kind of have to kind of set that aside because we know we're getting towards the end of the show. Um, I'm not 100%, I wasn't 100% loving the, uh, the story around, uh, around uh, Theon and Yara. I felt like those characters were a little bit kind of underserved this season, and I'm not really sure that I'm as excited to, to follow that plot in the next six episodes. I, I have a feeling we're gonna, they're going to dedicate some time to it, but I don't know that it's necessarily a plot thread that I am interested in going to. I hope to be proven wrong on that. And I think another aspect that I, that I, uh, that I was disappointed a little bit is that um, the, it, it, it's obvious that there are certain characters that need to make it towards the final, to the final season. And so it felt like when there were opportunities to do something bold, uh, like killing off a major character that would have come out of left field, um, it, they, they weren't able to take those risks or, or to be that bold as they were, had been in seasons past because these characters are going to have a major point to play in the future. You know, case in point with uh, the final episode, um, I would, I think, I may be in the minority here, but I was ready for the mountain to kill Jamie in that final scene when he walks away from Thursday. And I think that would have been, had this been season one or season two, I think Jamie would have been dead. But because Jamie has a role to play in season eight, um, they have to keep him around. But I, I, there was a part of me that was yearning for that to happen. And the scene did not work for me because I, I didn't, I didn't understand why the mountain wouldn't follow through with Cersei's command. Um, and it would have been really interesting to go into a final season of the show with that major character being killed off. Uh, but, I I understand, but I can understand why they, they held on to him, because he obviously is going to have a role to play. But it would have been really bold to see him uh, be taken out at that point. If, if that's the minority consensus, I'm in that same minority with you, because I was I I as much as you know Jamie's been I guess an up and down character for a lot of people with this whole redemption quality that people feel that they can forgive him for for pushing a small child out of a window and all that um right. you know it, I understand that part of it where some people cling to that but it really would have been bold and it would have been just it would have been shocking because Jamie such it would, a, been a sho- it, it would have been a season one type of shock that we haven't had in such a long time. You know, it would have been that type of, you know, I don't think ever since, uh, probably since, since uh, the, I mean, the Red Wedding, obviously. I mean, what, what was the last time we had a really kind of unexpected out of left field death like that? Um, I don't feel like any of the deaths in the last couple of years have had that quality. Uh, of a next start being killed off, or um, uh, uh, Joffrey, you know, maybe maybe Joffrey's death maybe was the last time that we had a really kind of out of left field death like that. Um, that, uh, or you know, obviously that I guess the, the, the explosion of the keep that 
there wasn't there weren't there wasn't a character in there that I was personally as invested in as somebody like Jamie would have been, and so I I think it would have been really really audacious of the show to take that step. Yeah, def- and it would have had us talking about that way more than the dragon at the end. Exactly. I, you know, especially us in the community. You know, you know, maybe like your average viewer who's like, "Whoa, the dragon's so cool!" You know, like right. I, I understand that, and, and you know, a lot of people are in it for that stuff. But we would have loved the, the just the avenues that would have opened up for what's going to happen, and you know how Cersei would react, and it no, it just would have been great. And if if Cersei really was like only queuing the mountain, and he actually did it in his own, like it it, it would have been so cool. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, and and the little not to discredit the little finger death because that was a satisfying death, but I don't think anybody saw that death as a shock. I think. Everybody knew his days were numbered. It was a matter of time with Littlefinger. But with something like Jamie, it would have been completely uh, uh, unexpected. And I thought, I thought that would have been a, a really interesting direction for the show to go. Absolutely. Yeah, even, even the setup at the, at the Dragon Pits, when they were all like, the, all the Lannister army was like lining up in the, the, like, the archways and stuff. It looked almost like it was going to be a setup. And I was like, whoa, is this going to happen? Like, I was on the edge of my seat at that point thinking, like, because, you know, I'm used to shockers from this show, so I'm waiting for something nutty to happen. And it just, it it didn't fall flat, but it just, it yeah. killed off all the, just the right amount of in, insignificant players. It, it, like, it, it stopped short of getting to that place, right? It kind of felt like he was going that way, and then it, it didn't quite get there. But that's okay. I mean, I, 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 I understand it's just there's a there's a fanboy part of me that wishes we had a, we had gotten uh, a shocking moment like that. Yeah, I I agree. It's the, it's the fanboy side. It's that you know that ooh this is awesome. We could talk about it on a podcast for an hour, and you call up Abe, and you guys do your show, and then we talk about it after, <laughs> and get on Twitter, and yeah, no, it's it's a uh, it's it's like mouth watering for the you know the for the podcasting especially. Yeah, so that, so that's that's uh, I think that's uh, you know I, I'm I'm gonna have to cut it short with my comments here today, Tim, because I have to uh, attend to the family. But I just wanted to chime in, so that you guys were uh, having the chat tonight, and just wanted to share those thoughts with you guys. That was great. I really appreciate you calling up. Uh, you know, once again, if anybody out there is listening and you don't know about a pot of casts, it's Roberto and Abe, and they do a great job uh, breaking down the show little analysis and uh scene by scene discussion and it, it just re- really well articulated they come from a book perspective without ever giving anything away it's just a really good show and uh i love when we do these little crossovers and podcaster to podcaster on on each other's shows it's uh it's been great having you on thank you roberto thank you so much Tim. And for those yeah for those interested we're over at apodcast.com well, you have a good night, Tim, and have a, a, I'm sure we'll, uh, our path will talk again in the near future. Absolutely. Vala Magulis. Take care. Vala, Vala no Harris. Bye-bye. <laughs> Later. Uh, it was great to have Roberto on. He's uh, definitely an intelligent guy, and his show is, is really good. If you guys uh, haven't listened to it, add that to your roster of podcasts. The, him and Abe do a great show. It used to be... Abe and, uh, I mean, uh, Roberto and Robin, and Abe stepped in when Robin left, and it, it's just, it's a good show, and we're happy to have Roberto on, and he brought in some, some very interesting points, and 
I tend to agree with the fanboy stuff. It's, you know, some of the things are stuff we want as fanboys. I and mean, we did get a lot of fan service this year with uh, all the little throwbacks and little lines and quotes. And I love that stuff. That stuff, you know, made me a little giddy. And if I was a book reader and I knew probably even, you know, half more of the quote, the little tidbits you guys got as book readers, I probably would have liked it more. Um, I, I do appreciate the attention, the detail they've paid to in this show over the course of the, the run. Um, you know, maybe, you know, the pacing issues was a little nitpicky because we wanted it slower, but it's still really finished up strong. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to next season. I'm very much looking forward to the off season on this show. And, uh, Right now, we, we didn't really get a chance to do a full-on round robin this year because we would, we talked so long and we got so much so many good callers this year. But now we're down to the last uh, original callers of the show, two here for the wrap-up. And I brought them both in at the same time because uh, they're very well-versed on how to operate in a fan call-in, and I'm sure they have questions for each other. I'm going to welcome back Susan and Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey. Hey, Susan, how are you? I'm doing good. good to be I loved your points. Oh, thanks. Thanks. And uh, Roberto, uh, I'm, a fond of their, uh, I'm, a fan, I'm a fan of their podcast as well. They do an excellent job, so uh, it's good to hear him. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it sure was. It was it's, it's so nice to, you know, we get recognition from other circles and other podcasts, and it's it's and he's got a lot of good stuff to say. So that was awesome. So Matt, what do you think? You got anything to expand on that? Um, well, I, actually, I just kind of wanted to, and, and maybe it's too soon. Maybe we still need to digest more. But, uh, and I don't know how how many times you asked this to other callers last week. But uh, as you look back on the season now, you kind of have you gotten kind of gotten a feeling of an overall rating for the season Ooh, bringing it back i like it um i started to i, I didn't really give it a, a numerical rating i just started to piece it all together in my head and as much as i had issues with episode six it, it really pulled together strong um i was in the minority of people who liked the aria sansa mystery setup so I thought that paid off well for me. I I'm gonna probably say an eight. I mean, I I'm I right could, there with you. Yeah, I, I could tally up my ratings for the season, but it would be lower. But now, as an overall, putting it together, it, it definitely comes in pretty strong for me as well. Um, I would definitely go eight, maybe even an eight point five for the season. I thought it was a really strong season for the the short amount of time. I thought that there was a lot of economy in the storytelling that actually worked to where you can, you can link things up uh, in retrospect. And, and I really loved it. Um, but that, that's just me. How about you, Susan? Uh, well, um, and I do, before I forget to, I, I want to uh, give you the rating, but I do have a few things that uh, Roberto brought up that I want to expand on. Um, I'm, with you all at an 8.5, I was thinking about that earlier today. In fact, I was trying to reflect on the season six was such a strong season. I really enjoyed it. I was trying to compare 
where I would rate the two, you know, which one I would put higher, and I'm not sure yet. I'm going to have to really think about that because I usually try and rank all the seasons together, and I'm not sure where this will fit in yet. But I would say definitely an 8.5. I mean, the first four episodes were super strong, and to me it was just um, episodes five and six that were somewhat questionable in the plot and storytelling, um, and uh, then I think the final episode was great. Excellent. Yeah, you know, and it it uh it definitely like looking at it as a whole, it made up for some of the things I guess people were like complaining about or I was nitpicking, like even some of the, you know, oh, you know, they moved so fast and they got from here to here when we didn't even see it. And I started to think about why that's a problem for me and why I wanted it and I I I was so spoiled from rich scenes like the walk with John Ugret and Corin Hathan and, and the Lord of Bones and the little dribs of, of conversation they had. And like, I was so used to that kind of storytelling that I wanted that with some of these journeys, but knowing what we know now, it, it wouldn't have been efficient. It would, it would have just been boring to, to keep seeing all this travel. And as much as the pairing and the, and the conversations are fun, it, I, it didn't need it. And we got it in the earlier seasons, and we, that we understand the buildup, so it made it a lot better for me. I, I, you know, I, I was agree. Very agitated yeah. after episode six, but everything really panned out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel like uh, we've, we've had such rich development of these characters that uh, that's why when you have things like the uh, dragon pit scene, um, or the when they did go north of the wall and the, the discussion amongst the men that were on that journey, those discussions were so great because we've already had that development. But I don't mind that they're moving along. I mean, I was re-watching some of it today to prepare for tonight, and I saw where um, they were discussing sending a raven to Dawn, and the next episode was, or the next, no, the next scene was Dawn receiving the raven. And I know some people were bothered with that, but uh, that doesn't bother me at all. I don't mind that. Um, because they are trying to cover a lot and they want to get it done, like you say, as efficiently as possible. My only complaint uh, is that there are just some parts where it seems that because they don't have George's blueprint for the last bit of the story here, I think they know where they want to end up, but it's the getting there it sometimes gets a little rough, and that's where I think things that were happening in episodes five and six to get them where they needed to go were messing things up, especially for the this journey to capture the white and the girls in, in Winterfell. I think you know those two were probably two of the weakest ones, and in the end, I don't mind where they ended up. They got where they needed to. It was just having to kind of uh, blink and not be too critical of some of the stuff they did in between, or or else you'd you know, get angry that it wasn't really the same quality. But in so many other ways, they're so strong. So I guess I'm willing to excuse them that because you know it's not their fault that they don't have George's blueprint anymore. So I think they're doing the best they can. Well, it's kind of funny, like when the way you put it, like that. If you think about it, like George's books were so rich. I mean, I, I hear, you hear all about 
crazy food descriptions and all these like really intense details, the history details. And now that these guys don't have that, they have the outline and the, the synopsis of what they're supposed to do and keep the story straight, I guess, and to what George's vision is, but they don't have the, the little nooks and crannies that George would have dribbled in there. And it's very apparent. And I, you know, I didn't even read the books, but I could just tell the complete shift in storytelling. It's a different mm-hmm. style of storytelling where the, the George stuff is told through the details. It's through the, the clothing and the set pieces and the, the eye contact and all those little things and the, and the different history stories they tell each other all meant something. Now it's, it's almost like a, a, a big summer blockbuster. And, and, you know, they don't have George. And I, I often wonder, like, is George watching the episodes, like, after the episode, like, smacking his forehead and, like, shaking his head? Like, what, you know, how, how do you think he feels? Like, you think he's on board with this? I, you know, I, I don't read that kind of stuff. I don't follow him as hardcore as a lot of people do. But uh, what do you think, Matt? Oh, I, I think, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, uh, I, I, and I agree with you guys, that the bullet points are strong the journey between the bullet points has not been as strong over the last couple of seasons, but that, the, I, I think that George probably, and this is again, just complete speculation, but uh, George is probably giggling because he can still tell his story and, and, and it doesn't really matter. People are, people are still, I mean, every season, you know, he's picking up thousands of new fans to his books. So how could he possibly be upset with that? First of all, Second of all, um, you know, he's still got his story that he can tell in his way, and there'll be differences and everything. I think that a lot of the bullet points, as we've discussed before, will be very similar. But I also think that, you know, George's journey to get there will be George's way of crafting the story. And what we have with Dave and Dan right now is their way of crafting the story to get between those bullet points. And I don't really judge it as weakness because <clears> – <throat> When I got back into the show in season six, and I, I, I looked at things, and it, all of the, a lot of it was, you know, brand new for a book reader. I thought, well, but there there are things as as you and I talked about earlier, Tim. There are things between the lines that you can read. Just as the same, it, it, I think in, stylistically, they're doing the same thing. Maybe they're not doing it in a way that we're used to because George had those in between the lines that they had. Um, you know, to take directly from the page or to adapt to the screen. But I think that in their own way, they're, they're putting things in between the lines. For instance, there's a number of ways you can interpret what happened with Sansa, Arya, and Bran. You can say that from their very first meeting underneath the tree after Arya came home to Winterfell, that they started planning Littlefinger's demise. Or you can say that Sansa was really, truly scared of Arya, and Bran clarified everything for her. You know, so, so there, there are many things that you can, you can do to satisfy your need for an answer here or an answer there in terms of looking in between the lines. And I don't think that Dave and Dan have done Georgia disservice in that way, in any way, shape, or form. They're just doing it in their own way. Oh, I agree. It's not, no, it's, it's definitely not uh, bad. It's not taking away from the story. It's just not as rich, but the time constraint thing also always gets in my mind as like a factor. And I always think like they need to hurry it along. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if, if they, if they were up for it, 
they, you know, they would, they could have probably went three more seasons. Um, but they have a goal. They have a, a you know, a date, a wrap up in mind. And no, I, I, they're doing a good job. It's just, it's not as rich, but I, I, I have, you know, given them a little leeway. Um, but what would be really? But see, what cool I, Tim, I'm okay. sorry, but what I would argue is that it is just as rich. It's just rich in a different way. That's that's my argument. Is is not that it's less rich than anything George would do. I just think that they're doing it in a medium that requires a different kind of storytelling, and it is just as rich for the medium that they're working in. Yeah, you're very, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, yes, it's just different. It's just yeah, it's completely different. Where George would have showed you know, John eating some kind of food on the way and describing it for 10 pages, you know, they, they didn't eat anything on the way. So, no, I, I, you know, I understand. No, they're, they're definitely doing their own story and they're, you know, they're doing a good job. And I, you know, I'm picking up, you know, a lot of things and we've been, I'm pick, you know, hearing different people's observations and there are still so many things in there, um, overarching themes and, and, you know, uh, d- definitely, you know, attention to detail it just you know i guess i guess george was slower with it that's why each book was like you know seven thousand pages um but what would be really marketing genius for george is if he gave them this ending they made this fantastic show ending and george wrote something completely different and the word started spreading and people were like oh it's so different in the books he would sell a billion books oh well, yeah yeah i mean and it, and it might it might be that way. You never know. Um, the, and Susan, that's a question that I kind of have been wanting to pose to you because, you know, you and I, as followers of, of George, uh, pretty avid followers, he's always talked about this bittersweet ending. And what I'm thinking is, is the ultimate bittersweet ending that John and Danny totally fall in love with each other, but because of their own sensibilities – I mean, let's face it, since the very first scene we ever saw Daenerys in and the way Veneris, uh, the way Viserys was was fiddling with her, let's just put it that way nicely, um, you know, I would think that incest would be the last thing on Daenerys' mind. And John, with his Westeros sensibilities, incest would be the last thing on his mind. So is the bittersweet ending actually the fact that these two people truly love each other, but they both can't be together? You know, they both realize that they can't be together. Right. Well, um, I my interpretation on it is that the bittersweet ending is going to be that one or both of them are going to be dead before the end of it. And mm-hmm. um, I, I'm hoping, I'm kind of hoping it would be one. You know, then you still have one of them around, and it, it seems like they're really foreshadowing this uh, pregnancy that you know Danny's going to have a child and. Um, so she could die in childbirth, or she could die as, you know, part of uh, the the fight, or or John could. You know, I I really don't know, but my idea is that you know certainly there's going to be conflict about the fact that uh, that they're related, and, and I'm not sure to what degree which one's going to feel. like. I tend to think that John will be more uh, disturbed about you know her being his aunt. And she'll be more disturbed about the fact that he has a uh, a better claim to the throne than she does. Uh, really, in, in my mind, yeah, because I think that you know that's that's gonna that's been her destiny. I mean, that's, so much of her uh, identity is 
tied up in that right now. And while I don't think John's going to care for it or want it, I still think that that is going to disturb her in some ways. For John, I think it's going to be more him having to grapple with, again, his identity, um, Stark versus Targaryen and how that's going to go. But I would tend to think that if a child does come into the situation, then his whole sensibility of he wouldn't want a child to be a bastard might might uh, decide him to go ahead and marry her um, because that seems to be something that he really wouldn't want to happen. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of tend to agree similarly with with you, Susan, how John's going to react. And I think the it, what's going to happen is, you know, we've seen tidbits of Danny like snap on Tyrion when she got what she didn't want to hear and mm-hmm. saw her, te- her, her, her emotions rise fast. And we've been seeing it slowly and slowly and slowly. And she's been kind of level-headed. But I think the John thing might throw her off so much that it could bring out the Mad King inside her, the, you know, the Mad King's daughter, you know, ha- having that trait. And it might make, or in childbirth, it might trigger some some hormone and, you know, she becomes spiteful. She, you know, she's going to think people are going to assume John should be the king. And, you know, it might it really set a rift between the two of them. It is going to complicate things. Yeah, it's definitely going to complicate things. You also have to think, well, John doesn't want the throne. He's a reluctant king by the North. But now how will the North view him? You know, there's the dynamics, not just of how they're going to feel about it, but how everybody else around them is going to react to it as well. So it's uh, it's going to be a big, big deal next uh, season for sure. Well, even just speaking of... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim. No, go right ahead, man. Well, I was just going to say, even speaking of the reaction, um, the, this whole Tyrion reaction to seeing the two of them getting together, that that kind of disturbed me. I didn't understand what that was about. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but I just, um, that that just seemed really weird to me, um, that Tyrion would have that kind of act reaction and be lingering seemingly for a while. Uh, I just took it, I, I you know, I really think it's a strategic point of view where like come on we'll come this far and now you're going to throw love in the mix and you just went and rescued this guy for no reason other than to show my sister this dead body because you know you love him now apparently and you you lost a dragon because you know like so like i think Tyrion's seeing it as like a complication i don't i didn't feel any vibe of of jealousy oh no i don't think it was jealousy i i just concern it's what I was going in for. Not jealousy. Yeah, love, I, love takes up a lot of emotion, which occupies a lot of your thought process. So if you're, you, need, you know, you need to be focused on battle and conquering at this moment. Now all of a sudden you're throwing in the the love and, you know, I'm sure everyone, you know, you guys have both been through, the, you know, being in love at one time and like, not wanting to see friends and like, oh, we'll just hang out. And you just want to, you know, you have those like budding romances where like you spend the whole week together and you're like, well, we just, we just spent seven days in a row together. This is crazy. You know, um, it could definitely complicate things. And then if she does get pregnant, now she's hormonal and 
you know, and now having to care for the baby, the dragons, the the realm, it makes a whole lot of complications. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what would be really cool, though, is if they settled this whole thing and had Battle of the Babies. Cersei's baby versus Danny's baby, and they, they battle to the death, and we see baby death. Last <laughs> <laughs> scene of the series, flash forward 30 years, bam. All right, we'll take them as adults. I wanted to see them as babies, but I'll, we could we could die. And Tyrion can stand over them and be like, look, I'm taller than both of you. <laughs> hey, Matt, uh, yeah. you are familiar with the uh, the letter from George's original outline, right? You've read that? I have. I am. Okay. So that's the only thing, and I don't want to go into details here, but go back and read the that letter and the uh, substitute Daenerys for Arya and some of his original ideas and see how that might complicate things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm privy. Point. I'm privy to that letter as well. Um, the f- uh-huh. fans listening might not be. If you are, uh, this is you know we'll briefly touch it. But if you want to go read it or read the transcript for yourself, it's kind of interesting. Um, it was what was it, George, in like ninety something when he was uh, giving an interview and and he kind of let the cat out of the bag about the arc. It, it, right? it was it was his proposal about the series to the publisher. That's what that letter was. All right. Okay. So it was before everything was in stone. He he wrote a letter to the publisher pitching the series. Um, so. And that was back when it was a three book series. Yeah. So you know a lot that was, of things. That was three years before Game of Thrones was published. The first book. That was like early nineties. It's very easy to find. If anyone really wants to know about it, they can just you know look up uh, Martin's original uh, plot or you know letter with the plot. It will come up. In fact, yeah. I think uh, Podcast Winterfell, at Winterfell Pod on Twitter, retweeted uh, an article concerning that earlier um, on, this is now, Mon- Mon- on Memorial Day. Uh, pardon me, Labor Day. Okay. Yeah, we have an office full of interns now that just operates our Twitter, so uh, <laughs> I wasn't aware of that, so I'm going to have to go check that out. But, yeah, One I mean, thing. even... Oh, go ahead. I want to know in terms of uh, John and Danny, though, is uh, John going to ride Rhaegal? Are we going to get another dragon rider? Ah, Might be for the kids. Um, we got we got Daenerys, and we got John. That's all we need, too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, or the the Golden Company, if they have. The, the Targaryen blood in them. You never know. Maybe one of them has some kind of connection. Oh, it needs to be John. John and Danny, you'd be riding those dragons together in the battle against them. You know, against you don't the think, there. You don't think it would be too cliche, though? Like, it just seems like it would just be, like, I don't know, a little too easy. Well, for me, I'd hate to see that uh, that third dragon is the waste. <laughs> I want Bran to warg into him. Ah, okay. Well, they can both happen, you know. It can happen in different circumstances. He could warg into John, rotting the dragon. Yeah, after John has that connection with Drogon, and then once he finds out he's a Targaryen, he's got to have a chance to ride a dragon. You don't think Drogon knows already? Well, Drogon knows. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure Regal knows too. But uh, the thing is, is that John would never think about getting on the back of one until he knows that he might have a chance at it. I mean, the guy who pets a dragon, he's out of his mind. <laughs> he, uh, what else, he, what else are you going to do? You're getting fried either way, man. You're, you know, it's like, okay, if I make a, a sudden move away or I make a sudden move towards, then I'm probably just going to die. So it's kind of like it's that, pit, it's that pit bull that comes running up to you that you just go, hey, buddy. <laughs> you should have did that to the bear. It would have been a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> the bear. Uh, there was nothing left on that bear to pet. It was half skull, half fur. Well, I don't know. That's I liked the bear scene actually. That was the one scene that I really liked in the in the in the Beyond the Wall episode. I, I liked it, but it, it I felt like it was unnecessary. It just it was cool. Like that that's the only thing I got out of it. Like that was cool. Like you know they could have they could have killed off uh, uh, Thoros a different you know in, from one of the you know dead or whatever. Like you know it just I don't know, it was cool. I, I like the visual effects. It was done well. Um, but, you know, then it made me, like, wonder if that was, like, a cue for foreshadowing that they'll be able, that you know, to control animals as well, like, with hence the dragon. So, it, it, you know, I guess that, that's what I got out of it. Um, but then, you know, thinking about the hive mind thing, I'm like, well, then can an animal be, is there an animal walker that controls all the animals? Like it, it, it really opens up a whole thing. Like is it ravens? How about dead ravens? That'd be crazy. They, they just fly against the other ravens. They just peck out their eyeballs. It'd be wild. Well, with uh, Roberto and, and you all talking about that stuff, uh, a couple of things uh, came up in my mind that I would like to just mention briefly. Uh, when you, you were talking about uh, that hopefully hoping that Bran would have like a bigger plan for John rather than just his parentage. I'm wondering uh, how much the whole idea of uh, the prince that was promised and the prophecy about uh, somebody who is supposed to be able to defeat the Night King or defeat the army, you know, this, this special hero, how much information Bran's going to be able to dig up about that and how much that information will be key or critical to to their actual defeat. So I'm hoping that something happens about that. And then the other thing, when you all were talking about uh, changing the pastor's babies to the White Walkers, it reminded me that uh, we have Gilly's son, who is a half-brother to those White Walkers, and if there will ever be any significance about that, because that baby would typically have been one that they thought maybe was promised to them and they didn't get it. Wow, maybe that's what they're coming for this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) They're just going to take the baby and just march back north. (laughs) No, but that's good. I mean, if it ever, like, develops into a a small child that can speak, um, (laughs) instead of staying a baby for the entire series, it would be cool because that would be, like, maybe they, they could communicate with him or he could, like, get them to stop or some kind of connection. That'd be wild. Yeah. Yeah. You would have thought he would have been a little, you know, a little bit more of a young boy by now. Right. I'm saying that we've seen Sam change like 400 toilet bowls and, and you know, this kid hasn't grown. <laughs> Gilly learned how to read. She's reading scrolls. She, and this kid still hasn't grown. Like they, they definitely blew with that one. 
Yeah, talk about, you know, they're doing fast forwarding. They could have done a little fast forwarding there. Right. Oh, you guys are so nitpicky. Come on. <laughs> he could have went to the Citadel kindergarten like, whoa, look at this. Uh, I used to be nitpicky too, so I understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know all about mashed tomatoes. Tomatoes, there yeah, you go. Yeah, lemon yeah. cake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's definitely fun to speculate, and we have to think about these things because, you know, it keeps the show going in our minds because uh, we have a long time in between the next one. Well, apparently. I mean, some people are saying there's no actual word from HBO. Um you know, they're just saying they think it's going to be 18 months to almost two years. So, but you never know if they finish it and it's ready and, you know, HBO's programming is shitty at one point, they might move it around like this weird summer slot that it got instead of April. Oh, I think it'd be perfect marketing to have the, the battle, uh, the, you know, winter is here. The battle has come, uh, to have it released in January of 2018. That's perfect marketing. It's in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. I thought that too. If there was a year and a half to this one. It'd be good to do, do that again and have it come up to have it be the winter for the end of it. That would be cool, except like if you were living in South America or the Southern Hemisphere. Right. Yeah. The the other the Southern Hemisphere misses out, but they've been watching. They've been watching. They've been saying winter's coming for six years, and they're like, "Wait a minute! It is winter. What are you talking about?" <laughs> So that's right. Yeah, oh, that's one more thing too about uh, in terms of the plan with the with the White Walkers and so forth is Melisandre said that she's going to be coming back. So right. if there is a return of her with potentially other Red Priests or Priestesses, they too could play a role in maybe having more information about that Prince that was promised and ideas about how they're supposed to defeat defeat this. Uh, great other and who has to do it and how they have to do it and so forth. So if it's not brand, maybe maybe Melisandre can, can add that. This is one of the key reasons why you're one of the best people ever on this show is because that was one of the big questions I wanted to ask you too, that what do you think Melisandre is doing and bringing back and up to? And, and that it's so wonderful that we're all like, in the similar you know track here because um, she definitely is going to have some kind of weird part to play and i don't know if it's going to be small enough as delivering information to set off some kind of plan and for all the you know the red priests and priestess and the whole lord of light congregation or she's going to be directly involved um I mean, I went as far as even going, you know, I had my tinfoil hat that I made and I put it on the other day. And I'm like, is it possible that where she's going, there's dragon eggs and they've been waiting for the magic to really fully increase because they didn't have whatever power Danny did to hatch them. But if the magic builds up enough, maybe they can bring more dragons. Uh, I know it wouldn't be enough time for, to fully develop them, but it just, it, it got me thinking like there's something more magical happening that has to happen with them. Uh, what, Matt, what do you think? Like, where, where is she? What part is she going to play? Oh, you're asking the wrong person because I'm way crazy on this stuff. Um, <laughs> if you have a reckless speculation sound, play it now because this is totally reckless speculation. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> 
Um, something that Roberto brought up about the Night King and uh, how taking him out is the only way to take out the entire army. What if there is no weapon known to Westeros that can take him out? What if a special kind of weapon has to be forged in some kind of magical way which requires, say, Melisandre's sacrifice? And there's a book theory about this, so I'm not going to go any further on it than that, but I think Susan knows what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, but what if there's some special kind of weapon that has to be forged in a special kind of way? Because we've seen the Night King walk through fire. Fire ain't going to do it. I don't even think a, a dragon fire blast is going to do it for the Night King. So Lightbringer is um, no good. Uh, well, Lightbringer may be good, but I don't think that anybody has a Lightbringer yet. I think that a Lightbringer is something special that must be forged uh, through another kind of magical process other than just Valerian steel. Let me just put it that way. Cool. Um, I, I definitely like that. I want more magic. So we, we're on the right track. I, I like this. Keep going. Yeah. And I feel like Melisandre saying that she has to die. Maybe she has to go over to Volantis to prepare herself. Maybe she has to go over to Volantis to get something. But I feel like her being her dying is part of the forging of that weapon. And all you Song of Ice and Fire people can say the NN word right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I mean, I would love that. I, and, you know, Axel always had, you know, some kind of speculation with the stone men that that, that is some kind of either weapon or defense. So, you know, we saw Jorah get, get cured of it in 39 minutes. And, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... It, overnight they wouldn't, and two weeks wouldn't, at the same yeah, time. No, it, was, it was overnight and two weeks at the same time and then in the same stay. And, but, uh, no, but like, there's a, why did they even introduce that to us? Like what, you know, they, I feel like all this stuff's going to have to come, come together. There's a lot of magic happening. There's a lot of weird stuff that like the, the normal, I guess, like average Joe in Westeros kind of stopped believing in. And, and, you know, I was talking to one of my buddies and was almost describing it as like how the never ending story was all about like kids losing faith and imagination in fairy tales and, and, and things like that. And it started eating away at that realm. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, that movie or story, but it's almost mm-hmm. like, the, the you know, almost everybody can, you know, wrote it up as, you know, uh, what was it, snarks and grumpkins and, you know, no giants. And we've seen almost all the things that like old Nan has talked about so far. And, and Lewin said, and they were like, these things are here. Like, so there's gotta be more happening. I, I, I won't, you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta come to us. And that same vein with Melisandre, she, she said she was going back to Volantis and that's where the, uh, the primary churches for the, for Lelore, and that uh, the priestess who came down to Green uh, uh, and met with Tyrion and Varys, uh, she was the priestess from that that church. So, um, you know, the interesting thing that she said to to Varys about what he heard in the fire, you know, this was a red priest that had uh, castrated him back when he was a kid. There seems to be more reference to this cryptic word. And when she was saying something to him about his 
going to cut his destiny along with hers when she was talking to Varys on the clifftop there before she was taken off. So I'm wondering if we're going to get more about uh, Varys' origin and if that had, you know, the magical ceremony that uh, uh, took his manhood, um, you know, if there's going to be something that comes out of that that's going to play in all of this as well. Hmm. I I I know, because we, we got we got uh uh hey Matt are you there by any chance? Yeah, I'm still here for a second. All right. Did you want to sign out? Because uh, Matt has Matt has to go, so I just want to get my last second on. Yeah, the boss man is calling. We got album stuff we got to do. Tim, thanks so much for having me. Susan, always great to talk to you, hon. You too, Matt. Sure. Great. Play on, brother. All right. Take care, guys. It was great having Matt. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go back to what we were just talking about before we get too sidetracked. Um, the the Varys thing, like even that little tidbit, I mean, obviously we heard Varys tell a couple things of vulnerability to say like that conversation with Tyrion when he actually opened up and like seemed like he was being really legitimate in the way he was, you know, about his backstory. And then we got the Red Priestess and Marine that... All right, I think it was Marine. Um, mm-hmm. That it was that told him that stuff about him, and like, there's a weird connection he has with the Lord of Light, and he I don't know if he wants to admit it, but why do they know so much, and why can they see into him? Is he an operative for them? Like, I started asking all these questions, but there has to be more to it. There has to be a reason Varys is still around. There has to be a reason Varys has made it this far. Uh, and I don't believe the bullshit he told Danny in like episode two. I believe some of it, but not all of it. There's a Varys sees a big picture, almost like you know uh, Littlefinger did, but I think he's on a whole nother level. I don't know if he has some kind of spiritual connection, something, but his backstory is is definitely intriguing because why why you know this show's never done anything for no reason especially in the previous, you know, five seasons or four seasons, even, you know, solidly. But now we got Varys with these questions and someone tells me that, you know, I'm going to die here in this place. I'm going to be like, well, I'll change your dest- my destiny and I'll kill you now and throw her off the cliff. Like there would have been so many, you know, things he could have done, but like he got shook and like nervous every time he heard all these things. So exactly. he might... Yeah, he might believe somehow or know or saw something growing up. Uh, right. There's more. There has to be more to it. Yeah, yeah. I want to know, you know, what is it that he heard? Because when Kavara, I think that's how you pronounced her name, the Red Priestess who, who came to Marine from Volantis, when she brought that up to him, that was one of the first times that I ever saw him really shook up. I mean, he was definitely spooked by what she was saying. And then when Sandra was talking to him on top of the cliff again, when she told him the idea that he had to die there like she did, that uh, again he was he was spooked. Yeah, I I love it, and and he's one of those funny characters that not funny, haha, funny, but like ironically funny that is always in the background that says the right things at the right time, but nothing of major significance that we we. We're like inclined to follow him all the time, you know. Like we follow all these other major characters, but Varys is is that guy in the background that he's important, but we don't know why. And 
we don't know if he's important, but it seems like it. That but we don't pay attention to. So it, it, mm-hmm. it it's it's funny that you, that that we're back to this and how we, how we got back to the virus because this whole red priestess thing like there's more to it and I feel the magic really coming and I and you know Beric basically being the last I don't know I, I guess the Brotherhood disbanded so now he's like essentially no more Brotherhood he's like the Lord of Light guy um, I think he right. used the Brotherhood as like a means to to get to where he had to get. Um, but he's got some kind of magic powers. There's something with him. He, there's no way. I'm going to go back to it again. I know I've said it before, but there's no way he should know how the hive mind works of the Night's King and that he was the one. He pointed exactly at him. How did he know, like, that wasn't one of Craster's kids with the javelin arm? You know, like, how did he know that that was the guy? So, you know, to ha- yeah, to, so there's got to be more to all these people. And, and it's, they're outside just enough so that when they come in, it's going to be shocking to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think you're on to something. Yep. This has been a great discussion. We, uh, we have uh, our, our good friend, our uh, podcast uh, initial reaction host, our DVR podcast uh, coordinator. He's joining us for the end of the call, and uh, we're going to bring him in, Susan. Mr. Axel Foley. Or Hello. maybe not. There he is. DJ. He's there. Oh, it, 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 un, it, had or, it had unmuted me earlier. I was waiting to hear it say, you are unmuted, but I guess I heard it already. Yeah, I unmuted it. So, it, you know, we didn't sound like all technical on, on here. And, you know, we, I, I bring people in a little smoother than that. But you're the first person all season to fuck it up. Thanks. Oh, sorry, DJ. Hi, Axel. <laughs> Hi, Susan. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good, having good, having good. a good time. Fun to talk cool, to. Cool, yeah. Matt here, here, yeah. Oh, nice, awesome. Yeah, I'm happy to be on the call. Uh, it's been awesome to have everyone coming on the call this whole season, and DJ Tim Hines has just been knocking it out of the ballpark, baby. Thank yeah. you very much. Oh, you're welcome, pal. It's been great listening all season and to have all the great uh, callers and everything. It's just been super fantastic. I don't, what were you guys talking about? I mean, we went pretty heavy. Um, we're, 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 you, you're going to enjoy listening to this when, you, when it, uh, it's available for download, first on uh, Patreon and then on iTunes or your podcast uh, app. But um, when it's available, you're going to like it because we're talking a lot about right now we're in uh, Melisandre and the magic and, and varies and you, you could actually pick it up uh, and answer like, what do you, where do you think, what's Melisandre's motive right now? Where is she headed? What's her plan? Well, you know me, DJ, I have, uh, I, I have, I mean, I've had several different outlandish crazy theories, but I think it's safe to say that we've seen the appearance of other red priestesses and we know that they helped Danny and Essos. So I just think that it's logical that they would think that they have a part in this final battle. I mean, Melisandre has been the one who's been talking about it more than anybody, really. 
You know, like she she was on this tip before Jon Snow was. So I, I think that something's going to come back. I mean, I've, I, I mean, it could just be bringing those people um, and maybe they have some kind of forces. Then there's the magic component. You know, I've even theorized, I had, I had a, I had a little bit of a cray cray theory. Do you want to hear it, DJ? Of course. Okay. So they've been laying down all this stuff about Varys, you know, just, I mean, I think they hinted and the people had speculated that maybe he was somehow a spy uh, and that's how they knew about this or that. Now, I don't know about that, but I think it's safe to say that they've established that he is very worried about the magic and he's very worried about the power that it holds. I think it's, you know, it's like we've talked about sometimes on the podcast and other people have said in in a way like, you know, the dragons are kind of like nuclear bombs in this world. You know, they're so overwhelmingly powerful. Um, And I think that Varys has shown that he may not trust what Danny is doing with that power which is weird because he's the one who helped give her the dragon eggs. Right. Right, in the very beginning. So I just kind of feel like a full circle thing here, which is what happens, and I mean, I don't know anything about the books about this, and they have never mentioned anything in the show, I don't think, but what happens if there's more dragon eggs? Now, I don't necessarily think that, that Danny would have time to give birth to these dragons and have, like, they would not play a part in the story, but they would play a part in what is being discussed so much in this last episode, which is what follows, you know? What follows Danny? Who, what's her line of uh, secession, Right. What happens after she's gone? Like Tyrion asked her. And I think it was, there's so much about bending the knee or breaking the wheel. And I just think that if something like that was brought in to the picture, it may cause people like uh, Varys and maybe even Tyrion to start to question how much power one person can really have whether it's magical or not, you know, because we're so used to people in this story when they see the magic kind of, they either ignore it or then they see it and they're overwhelmed by it, by its power, you know. But there is something to be said for people, a person like of Varys who sees that power and says, we've got to destroy that. So I, I don't know. I had this notion in my mind that, it, that they could kind of mix that political and the magical like obviously is happening, but even more so because I just feel like they've laid this um, various thing so strongly on our table. And then, the la- and then we see he is the last person to speak to Melisandre and the way she talks, it's almost as if they're 
fortunes are intertwined. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. That was just my you, thought. You you came in and, and knocked it out of the park with a home run. I mean, you were – it was like you were listening – to the whole entire conversation we were just having for the last few minutes. Uh, we were right in the same exact vein there with, with you know, there's something happening with Varys. And, you know, I, I kind of speculated with a little bit of the magic awakening, you know, awakening more things, either possibly, like you said, maybe more dragons or something happening that the magic that's causing all this, once the dragon eggs, original dragon eggs hatched, all this magic started coming out harder and harder. And not not at a super fast pace, but it happened at, and it got stronger. And even the warlocks and the, in the house of the undying, they were talking about that magic getting stronger. So it, it could have possibly been the thing that woke the Knights King up that, you know, that got them really ramped up uh, that, you know, that's why he plotted this whole thing to get the dragon and, and set all these wheels in motion. So I, I feel like that, that, that is uh, definitely along the lines like this magic is it i mean for all the stuff i'm saying tonight it really better be a magic heavy season next year <laughs> and just so yeah. that people don't uh want to correct you on this um actually you were saying about Varys being the one instrumental in, in getting danny her dragon eggs it was illyria mopakas his partner and, you know he that was the gentleman in pentos and essos but Varys was working very closely in connection with right. him, so I feel that, no, I, you know. Yes, I, I remember yeah. that, and that's why I was saying he, he you know, was responsible. Right. I mean, I remember that he didn't give them to her, but that right. was one of the early clues about him is when we saw him having that conversation. Um, where was that? Was that in Winterfell? No, or, no that was in... Things like that. Yeah. Yeah, down in the dungeon okay. where, where Arya was over listening. She was in, in right, the dragon. Right, when Arya was oh. listening. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just wanted to, you know, I agree. He is connected to that part of her, uh, you know, the, the initial sponsoring of her and her brother and connecting them right. with Paul Drogo and all that. I just didn't want people to be uh, emailing or, or tweeting you and saying, <laughs> that wasn't it was Valeria uh, who did that. Don't worry. That won't stop them. They'll still do it. But it is, it's interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up again, Susan, because it, 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 there's a psychological factor there, right? And that is the same way that Varys described when the Mad King was burning them, he would say, I'm not the one doing it, doing it right? But then he realized that he was because he was a part of it and he was enabling it. Well, then who mm-hmm. is the greatest enabler of Danny? The greatest enabler of Danny that's left in the picture is him. He was the one wow. who gave her the, you know, he, he must feel responsible, even though I know it was his partner, but that was the plan, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it was I almost like that, the ultimate hedge bet. Like you bet on everyone at the same time. And, and he, Danny was the one that he, I guess, shouldn't have unleashed to the world right so then can you see him feeling such a heavy burden because i happen to think that i believe 
I just I believe him when he says that he believes that the only people he is serving are the common man. I truly believe that. And I believe that he might be the most virtuous person in the whole show from what he's shown us. He, he, it's like Tim was saying, he really, he hasn't done anything to, he's not trying to get more and more powerful. He keeps on trying to push the stream in a way that he feels he can get a ruler and kind of make up for what he did with Danny's father, you know, and that plays into it. He's got that similar vibe. Um, well, not similar, but related like a, like Jamie, where he has like that old in Jamie's terms, it should actually be opposite. He should be more proud of what he did and not feel such guilt over it. What, throwing a kid uh, out of a window? Oh, DJ. <laughs> no, right. killing this mad king. Um, but uh, I, I do, I just wanted to bring that up. I mean, who knows where it's going to go? And, you know, we do have to be honest about the pace that things are going at. But I still think they're going to have loads of time to do a bunch more different plots and plotting and I think it might even get like more complicated as time goes on which I find interesting you know I'm kind of glad that I've heard some people were upset that there weren't a lot of big deaths at the end (laughs) of the season I don't know if that was you DJ I'm not trying to single you out no I know you like to see people die we went over this on the pod. You're going to love hearing this. Okay. You know, we, def- we definitely touched on that. Well, my, my uh, two cents is I'm happy about it. I, I wasn't, I'm not disappointed by that. I think it, it sets the stage for a final season um, where anything can happen and we still have the major players and they're still, there's not, there's nary a one left, maybe except for Theon, that I would say, why are they still there? Yeah, and, and Cersei becoming pregnant and her whole plan behind the back totally changed everything. It brought it back to, like I, I kind of referenced earlier, like instead of the gigantic Marvel team-up, there's still turmoil. There's still a problem. There's still drama. Yeah, yeah. So yep, and I it, like that. It, and it opens up more avenues for complications. So, you know, it's not just going to be a cut and dry. This is going to be six episodes of fighting. You know, it's not going to be that. We're going to, it's still going to be more politics. There's still going to be more, you know, scheming and, and you know, plotting. And, 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 you know, we're going to see who turns on who. Uh, it's just, it's, it, it really opened it up. Like, I actually liked it more after hearing um, the deep dive about the Cersei stuff because the way Tracy came out of the out of the gates just praising Cersei's role it put me in a place where I because I, I was getting so sick of it when she was with the Septa but now I'm like really like into the path she's because she like finally really embraced the the Tywin in her and she showed every people pointed it out like uh the the Mycroft pointed it out to her and you know a couple of people but like she 
doesn't even need to hear it. I think feel, feel like it comes natural now. Now she has the grasp on it. So her uh, plot line that, that that she's laying out makes the whole end season not so like, all right, we know what's going to happen, and not so predictable because anything can happen now. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I and and it's I feel that her existence on the show is very validated and you know, like Keith and I was saying, and then I, I love that when I was listening to the deep dive, like you're saying, Tracy was saying Cersei is the smartest character left here. And she is, she's the only one she's playing at a much higher level than anyone else that's involved in this. Uh, Danny, John, anybody you know that's left and yeah uh, as as despicable as her turning on them all is it may be that she is as she was telling jamie doing you know rolling the dice and doing something that's going to put her in the best position if they get really decimated by the uh undead yeah well i also think that she's kind of looking at she's kind of doing the little finger thing and looking at all things at the same time and how they how every which way it can play out, not just concentrating on the way she hopes it plays out. Like she's playing it she's playing reality. And that might help them because I could see Cersei being a bit more realistic about how they would defeat the Night King or just being kind of more analytical about it. Um, Like I could even imagine a scene with her and Sam kind of talking it out. (laughs) I think it could be really funny. I don't know. I kind of like that idea. Now I know, I still don't even know if I believe she's pregnant, to be honest with you. I, I, I still don't know if that's true. Because I think even the way she gave it away to Tyrion was so obvious. Like even the way they shot it, she's like, keeps on touching her tummy. And as she says things, and then he's like, are you pregnant? And she's like, Oh, why would you? Oh, how could have you ever noticed? She didn't drink wine. Well, I'm sorry. What was that Susan? I said, she did seem to be trying to, to drop some hints to him. Yeah. Yeah. And not drinking wine doesn't really mean anything, DJ. She would do that to show him that she knew that's the ruse that she's playing. So she's playing it out on everyone. And the people it's going to work the best on are her brothers. It's got me a little bit. I'm kind of convinced. But now that you're saying this, I I could really play the other way, too. After the Tyrion thing, I was kind of almost sold. But now I'm, I'm so on the fence why would you she, why would you believe anything that she says I, I, even as a viewer of the show the, just this season on several occasions she has like effectively lied to the audience like we have been misled by her and then she's and then we've later found out that she's misled us so because why i it, of a main goal, what she what she said to Jamie was was and Tyrion was very like legitimate. Like, what's the reason to keep going on? 
and she grabbed a tummy with Jamie and then and then, you know, with Tyrion they kind of brushed on that, you know, and Tyrion's like, Yeah, you know, who are you gonna save it for? Really what is the point of her ruling crap, ruling a place in dismay just so she her ego could get the whole Westeros back? I don't think it's all about her ego. I think there's a driving force. She was trying to hold it together at first, then everything fell apart, but at the same time, she got pregnant from Jamie, so it put things back into perspective. Because otherwise, she could have just bounced on one of those boats with Euron and just took some Lannister coin and just, just went off and lived happily ever after in Marine, where there's no slavery, and it's a nice city, and, <laughs> and Dario's there chilling. He's hot. She could have had him if she wanted. Like, no, there's mean, a, she could have just I, chilled. I, like, there, yeah, you, I don't you need motivation. I'm not going to... Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I, I just think there's, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I also think that there's motivation to lying as well, which is, it would be the number one way to manipulate Jamie. And then, as it so happens, her other brother is the hand to the other queen, you know, so... I'm just saying that it could work both ways. So I'm not saying that I think she's lying. I'm just saying that with her character, I'm leaving open the possibility that nothing we're seeing is real and that other plans have been made behind the scenes that we do not know about. And that's something I want to carry into next season and remember, because I think that if we as an audience had become more accustomed to that her, like a little bit earlier they've always done that in the show but for a little while they kind of stopped doing that for main plot points and I you mean I like, like like the off screen story yeah what's, yeah like what's the, being said I mean, the red wedding is the greatest example right because plan, right? plans were set in motion in front of us and we didn't realize it yeah. It's all over everything in the show. You know, like there's so many scenes that you could have said, oh, look, they're playing the Red Wedding. Oh, that has, that's because of the Red Wedding. But we don't see that until later, you know. Yeah. So I like, think that, you know. Even you even can, now with the, the, the conversation with Tyrion just cut off yes, and he walked out. Yes, we, yep, it yeah, really could go yeah. either way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think actually. I, I oh, do believe ahead, that is pregnant. I, I really do think she is, but I think that that doesn't preclude her from using it to um, manipulate yeah. uh, anyone because, you know, I, yeah. that she used her other children to manip- for manipulation, yep. both them themselves and with other people. That's a great point, Susan. That, you're right. It's not an either or a proposition here because uh, you're dealing with someone who's willing to go to any lengths in order to remain in power, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I wanted to go back to what you said about that conversation with Tyrion because that has been one of the most interesting kind of predictive theory type thing that's come up uh, for me and upon rewatch, but also listening to other podcasts and reading about it, seeing on Twitter and whatnot. A lot of people are fascinated with that and I have to say, I think it's a great pickup by everybody because I was talking to A-Hustler about it 
And I was like, you know, every time Tyrion gets the wine and he hands it to the person, that's just when he really starts talking. We've seen that so many times in the show. He does a little small talk or whatever. They pour the wine. Then they start getting into it, you know? So I mm-hmm. definitely, uh, I think that that is 100%. I think everybody was is right about that. And I think that that is definitely, I think it may even be related to what happens with Cersei and Jamie. So it may be that Playing Jamie, Jamie for the pool, kind of? Well, maybe getting him out of there. Or maybe maybe Tyrion was like, okay, if you're not going to do this, we do need Jamie. Because he has a mind, uh, a battle, a, a war mind, you know, as a general that I do not. And that we don't have right now. So we need people like him. So is it possible that Tyrion worked out some kind of deal with Cersei without selling out Danny? Yes. I, that's what I would gather. Well, that would make a whole lot more sense to the problem I have with Cersei letting Jamie just leave. Because I brought that up earlier, that's one of my like questions I asked um, was why would Cersei let Jamie just leave? Like it, she, he knows the plan, he knows everything, and he's gonna go now up to her enemy, it, 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 and like she just let him walk out. It's not she wasn't exactly. shocked that yep. long. I agree, DJ. I completely agree. It was uncharacteristic of her because she would have at least thrown him in a dungeon or something, you know. Yeah. Um, what's the point of that whole deception then if, if you know, later that day she lets somebody go, her top general, forget that it's her lover brother, but her top general lets him go to the other side, to the people she just lied to. Right. Oh my God, it would be, be so great if Bran so I and kills him. Well, I think maybe it's something like she said, I won't, she's a, she, maybe it's more something along the lines of where she kind of said to Tyrion, okay, I'll come back out. I'll make like, I'm going to do this, but then I'll tell Jamie I'm not, but then I'll just stay at King's Landing. I won't do what I told Jamie I was going to do, which is she said she was going to take the South, right? While they were doing that. So Maybe she just agrees to stick it out at King's Landing, but guess what? It's snowing at King's Landing, so she might, she's not gonna, she might not have a choice, you know. I've heard some people speculate about the fact that uh, that discussion between them could have centered around this child uh, that Daenerys doesn't have an heir. I mean, Tyrion was bringing that up yeah. and discussing with her. You know, what if Tyrion was trying to make some assurances to Cersei about? Uh, about her child that would uh, make her, you know, placate her in some way. And, oh, uh, hey, and, and that that was hey, to why he was also uh, more concerned about yeah. uh, Danny and John getting together. Right. Well, listen, what, how, how about that could also, now, now I'm just trying to tie everything in, but it does make sense here. 
what you're saying ties into Jamie as well. Because if Jamie proves himself with Danny, right, Mm -hmm. then couldn't that be a way, and it's his son or daughter, because they don't know, you know, that's going to be born, right? And and it could somehow be the heir. Then maybe that kind of makes, makes it, better in a way, but I don't know because I'm kind of pushing things there because then again, well, he did kill her father, but she doesn't seem to be, she seems to understand that, you know, there's enough in the show of her admitting how terrible her father was, you know. I think at one point she actually says Jamie did a good thing, right? Didn't she say that that at some point? I'm not sure, but I do know that it will be interesting when, when he shows up at Winterfell because there is that situation. Plus, he was charging at her on the battlefield, and then right, there's the right. fact of, you know, what does Bran remember or not remember about uh, Jamie's role in throwing him out the window? So it, it's going to be interesting when Jamie joins up with the rest of them, which I think he eventually will, how he's able to integrate with them all. Yeah, don't you feel, though, and I, I, I'd say this to DJ, too, don't you both feel that a lot of the – they've – the tone has kind of been set for enough people to meet and have a reason to want to kill the other person or hate the other person. It's happened like eight times or so this season, right? Mm-hmm. That, and, and almost every time the person has kind of been like, well, we don't really have a choice now, you know? Like, this is, this is where we're at. Um, or it's kind of been like, well, you did that, but you also did that, like with John and Theon, you know? So mm-hmm. I, almost, I almost feel like the writers have, they can kind of cherry pick what people get mad about. And I just, I hope that it doesn't get dumb. It hasn't got, I like more Jamie showing up and Brant and him like kind of apologizing to Bran or whatever, and Bran being like, well, if you didn't throw me out that window, I'd never be the three-eyed raven, you know, like this was my destiny kind of deal. You know, and then I don't know how Arya's going to feel about that. Yeah, no, that's where I was was going with that. (laughs) There's no way Arya's letting that go on. She's the only one that the North remembers. No, she don't forget. Walter Frey got it. Littlefinger got it. Bam. Jamie's next. I mean, I, but I could see some kind of conflict. Brienne stepping in the way. Arya having to battle Brienne. I don't, but you know, but hey, it, it could, could get interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, hey, DJ, in the same way that I'm saying so many people have just gotten along, it, they could be setting us up for, you know, Jamie gets there and everybody's like, oh, and, and Brienne's like, whatever. And then the next scene, Arya's taking his face, you know? And then we're like, holy crap. But I don't know. I, I, I think that they, they do have the opportunity because they're in such a dire emergency here to always fall back on that when it comes to people meeting each other and having beef. You know, like no matter how deep the beef is, there's mm-hmm. still the undead are coming. 
So well, yeah. you know, think about the fact that that John and Danny, when they're you know when they're showing up, besides the big bombshell that uh, Brand and Sam are gonna drop on John about his parentage and how that's gonna affect them all. How about the fact of John introducing Danny to Sam? Oh, uh, Sam, here's my here's my new girl. Oh, uh, she uh, the one who burns your uh, father and brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a great point. That's true. It's everywhere you look. People have different reasons for wanting to take each other out, and they're going to have to put them to the side. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the yeah. genius of the show, how they're, you know, they have all these ways in and out of each storyline that could either be like a happy ending or a revenge happy ending or, you know, a redemption or forgiveness. You know, they all these people have different endings that they could have or create it's very clever well well let's give credit where credit is due and even me as a non-book reader will give that credit not to the show but to the creator the man oh, yeah, from bayonne himself yes <laughs> i will agree there the show is carried over though they definitely yeah. that's that's a big lesson they learned and yeah. i'm sure they're gonna they're gonna take that with them on on more shows they create because that's it's genius. It's a genius, like, uh, way in and out, especially if you're writing the show as you're going, which a lot of shows do because they only write a pilot. And, you know, if it gets signed, then they get to, you know, write a whole bunch more. Very few get greenlit for a whole season or so. Yeah, but to, they to, do. They do out most. Well, it's more, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I mean, you know, my feelings on that. I mean, I think that that's most shows these days, they ha- they have to sell them with with like season arcs. They're not you know I mean even uh, besides uh, you know NCIS or whatever. Yeah, I guess you know, right for yeah. cable it's a little different because it's shorter seasons. Right, I guess when it was those major off. networks and they're like, all right, we'll sign you for thirteen. All right, now write twenty more. So you know, but yeah, you're they right. Don't do that. Yeah, they're not doing that here. They've got. They, they've got, and, you know, it's, uh, but, yeah, man, there's a lot of different ways that they could go, you know, yeah. and, and that that is what's so beautiful about this story. And like you said very eloquently there, DJ, the, the uh, strands leading to death and leading to victory are intertwined, and you never know which way they're going to go. You know, I mean, I think that when we look back on this season, one of the things that I was most kind of surprised by is I, I have been, I, I, I love the White Walkers, you know, I, I want them to like talk and have like um, a castle and like, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I, I just. I think there's something I like the idea uh, I'm not big into like pure evil or pure good. And I don't think this story is about that. And I think showing their, uh, their origins was to me something that brought me closer to, to even the night King as a character, which I have wanted to be because I think he's, I think it's cool. But, um, 
it's kind of cool at the end of this season to look back and see how he duped them to get the ice dragon to take down the wall. And he was a character behind the scenes this entire season. Mm-hmm. He had a he was a Tywin like manipulator of politics and minds. Because in my opinion, he created that vision that uh the hound saw. And maybe even more. So I think that it were it's just awesome to kind of think about that and to realize that these nameless, faceless evil are not that because a nameless, faceless evil does not know people well enough to trick them into bringing a dragon to him (laughs) so he could take it and then take down the wall. So that's pretty awesome. Certainly, I'm like I, mixed, I'm going to say mixed on that particular idea. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Yeah, but it's it it's totally possible uh, that you know we're going to wind up you know seeing we're rooting for the White Walkers at the end. Like we never know. Like there might be an over like you know I I, I don't know if I said on the, on uh, this week's call or last week, but like there might be a whole thing where the Walkers you know, were created to, the Knights King was created to watch over, you know, mankind and see how they F the world up in all these circles. And if they don't break the wheel and, you know, stop acting in the same ways as, as the the forefathers and, and, you know, all the people in history and haven't learned anything, then it's time to reset. And they come and reset everything. And, you know, that might be the show and that might be what it's about. And yeah. it's so cool that the, the possibility is there that, you know, that it might not be happening. It might not be something anybody wants, but there's the possibility for that. And, and I do agree with you. Like the, seeing that, that origin of the Knights King was so mouthwatering that it made it like very intriguing that you want to know more about these people. And, you know, it's, it's awesome. It really is. It keeps us going. And, you know, we better get answers next year. Um, but it, it, it is a lot of cool things. Yeah, no, it's all, it is awesome. Hey, Susan, what, um, uh, which part of it did you not, do you not buy the visions thing? I might, that's extrapolation, but the way I got there was because that's where they meet him, right? Like that's the area where this lake was, where they could be trapped. I mean, there's other parts of it. You see the White Walkers going around them before they even get to the little island. They're already circling them. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, there's just so many parts of it that read like a trap. The foreshadowing of how John and them lit that fire to bring the White Walker to it, Right. And then it, that's uh-huh. what happens in reverse at the end of the episode. The fire comes at the ice in the middle, the little, right? So mm-hmm. there's just all these signs to me. Now, I don't know how, I don't want to get crazy like the Night King made the Mad King, like people like just transpose Bran and the Night King, which I'm not 
super. I'm, I haven't really thought about that too much, honestly. But, I don't um, like it enough to think about. Yeah, like I don't have an opinion on it. But what, you, Susan? Do you think that that was a trap, or do, you, or what do you think? I can certainly see why there's enough there that it can be interpreted that way. I can totally see that. I just, just, uh, not sure that I'm comfortable enough thinking that the Night King necessarily has like the same type of powers that Bran has or the ability to uh, have uh, visions for the Hound or whatever. But uh, I'm not ruling it out. I'm just saying I'm a little weary. I'm a little weary of that one. I'm definitely not on board with the Bran as uh, Night King theory. I think uh, sometimes sometimes people want to take George's writing and say, uh, you know, this is about, uh, you know, turning everything on its head and, you know, making everything so shocking and you know, look how we were so shocked with the, what happened with Ned and the Red Wedding and all that. But I really feel that when it comes down to it, yes, George, he's brilliant in laying all this uh, groundwork where you don't see it coming until the big thing happens and then you should have seen it because there was so much there in the first place. Um, but I do think that he is also, in many ways, loves the, um, the this grand high fantasy, and he's messed with the way he gets there and doing things differently and putting in a lot of great characters and people aren't, um, you know, the good guys versus the orcs. But I still think in the end, it's going to be, it's about what he cares about, what he talks about, is that the most important thing uh, is the conflict, uh, writing about the conflict of, of the human heart and conflict itself, what mankind has to struggle with in terms of doing the right thing versus doing you know, maybe what we desire to do. And um, that in the end, mankind will prevail at some cost, probably some horrific cost, and uh, just like uh, to some degree with Frodo in uh, Lord of the Rings at the end, the cost was so high that he couldn't go back to live a normal life. I think you're going to have some of that type of thing for the heroes. That's where you're going to get this bittersweet uh, ending. But there's going to be enough there that people are able to see that there is hope for a better world to come out of this horrific uh, ending. And I think that's just the, the kind of story that he tells. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 does that uh, that makes sense to me. I, I so I, you could you could very well be right, uh, and it could be heading in the direction of of some of this stuff like you're talking about. I'm not saying it's not there, but sometimes I think people want to just throw everything on its head. Yeah. That you know, to say you know that's it's all about turning yeah. everything upside down, and that's where I, I'm not I disagree with that. I hey I I I mean listen. You could, that is one of the, that's one of the advantages of this story too, is the slow onset of the magic and um, not ta- not taking thing, not going. I mean, I think this from, I, now I haven't read the books, but some of the things that people have told me, 
the books sound like they go farther than the show has gone, and that makes sense because of the audience that they're reaching, you know, uh, insofar as the complicated nature or people swapping identities or whatever. Um, but I think that... Very much it, so. Yeah, okay. So, all right, good. So you'd agree that 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 that's a that's a great advantage you know what i just totally lost my train of thought i started thinking about those things and instead of what was i talking about dj well i think you were bringing it to to where (laughs) the the detail uh in the books can can get into the the characters more than on the show but what we see is going to be a similar overarching theme that you just can explain better in the books and you can feel it more in the books. Whereas you have to show no, no, it. No, here. I, what was the point we were talking about? What was the, what, what, what point were Susan? Well, what, what it was we her saying that instead oh, of the, the walkers, walkers. Oh, okay. 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 I'm sorry. I got being love, back to where, you know, yes. And yeah. human, the human so, condition reigning. So, right. So right. what I want to say, Susan, in reference to what you said, which I thought was great about, people kind of facing themselves, right? That, that, mm-hmm. is what, that is what the White Walkers represent. In mm-hmm. a way, they, they, if what, what we see in the show, they were created as a weapon against, uh, by eco-terrorists who were the children of the forest, right? <laughs> They were upset that men were chopping down all the trees and taking over their land, so they created this thing, and man still has to face it. And that's why I think that the, 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 I'm happy, what I'm trying to say is, I don't need the White Walkers to talk. I don't need to see their city or anything. Yeah, you're right. People do extrapolate, and they go, they take it too far. You know, and that was the point I was trying to make is this show hasn't gone too crazy with all that stuff. They brought in the magic slow. And if episode one of season eight was the Night King sitting at his Night King desk, you know, like in a big castle. (laughs) Yeah, having a meeting. Right. Exactly. That would kind of break the spell, you know. Yes. So I'm happy, though that they can show agency and intelligence without that. That's what I like. So I'm kind of happy with that. And we've seen it before. I mean, how did they make the deal with Craster? Right? Like, they they had to communicate it. Yeah. Yeah. So they can't be totally mindless evil. They made a deal with a guy give us your babies, we'll protect you, you know, and let you have this little kingdom here, but we want your male children. So that had to be communicated. We've seen Bran, we've seen the Night King touch Bran in a vision, Mm -hmm. which I think Mm -hmm. means he exists on that plane. So I don't think it would be out of the question that he could uh, kind of implant visions in people because Bran could probably do it 
I mean, he talked to Ned inside one of his Weirwood visions. Ned heard him. Right. We can't yeah, deny um, that, you know. They, they're not, they haven't yeah. gone crazy with it, but we can't deny that it was in the show. That's true. And like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm even giving you the fact that everything that you set up about the, the Night King uh, creating a trap up there, there's enough evidence that it could, it, you know, it could be proved. I just, you know, like I said, I'm wary because I don't want yeah, yeah. to go too far in that direction. No, no. I, I, and, I, and I like that too because though I'm a fan of like crazy science fiction, I'm more of a science fiction person than I am fantasy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm used to that crazy stuff. I'm used to the beginning is the end. I'm used to like a matrix cycle or, you know, it was this person all along, you know, like, I like that kind of weird sci-fi crazy kind of stuff. And I've appreciated that Game of Thrones has kept it, kind of kept it real for all intents and purposes. It hasn't gone super nuts, you know, like Danny's solution to everything isn't burn it all with dragons so we can get more dragon effects, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, a a lot of stories would do that. Yeah, and Martin's well, background is in science fiction. Um, I think you know that's kind of where he got his start. He, he really likes that realm, but um, I, I do think he does make a it, there's a distinction with what he's doing here. You know, some of that, some of it crosses over into and is used, but you know, this definitely is what he considers you know his uh, high fantasy masterpiece. Yeah, well, it is. Well, How about you, that, DJ? What are you? Are you on the train of the uh, of it was a it was a trap? It definitely appears that way. I um everything that I was leaning away from with that theory has kind of been persuaded the, the other way. I think that uh, there's all the signs lead to a trap, and with this knowing with the, with the uh, I guess the uh, confirmation that it's a hive mind makes it a lot more believable that mm-hmm. they set this up and, and that, the, you know, that first wave and, and how they stopped. Cause I, it, once I started thinking that way, it made episode six a lot more easy to swallow. And okay. by meaning that, I mean like all the stupid nitpicking shit where I was like, well, why didn't the, the dead just make like, just pile up until they could walk over them, you know, and, and I'm, I'm thinking of all mm-hmm. these crazy things that the reasons they should have kept going and none of them made any sense except for that they were waiting for a specific moment. Yeah. And, that, you know, and so that, that, that leads to so many more questions of, of motive of their motive of how long they've been waiting for this and how long everything has set in motion. And I still keep going back to the dragon eggs rekindling fire in this whole uh, rekindling magic in this whole universe and getting people who forgot about certain things and, and denied certain things for so long back to where it is and what we wouldn't consider reality, but is reality in that world. And it just was put on the back burner for a while and that they've been waiting patiently, um, you know, cause 
apparently they've been like that for a few thousand years. So, um, you know, it, it, you, you asked a question, why didn't they do this before? Why was there another series of r- rulers that they could have done this to? And it, it it's all happening for a reason. Somebody did something along the way to trigger something. So we will definitely find uh, out. There, there, I, I will say this. I'll say this about, because I like Susan was kind of bringing up like kind of the end, how this thing could end. And I do think that it is possible that we do get a cyclical ending, that there is no ending, that either the White Walkers go back where they were and they make an agreement again with people or they decide to whatever reason they came out is gone. Maybe it was the dragons um, and they go back or through Bran and um, his visions and his this ability to interact with the past. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if there is a bit of that you know mumbo jumbo thrown in there uh and i kind of like that you know like i'm saying i'm i i that's i'm used to that i like kind of stories like that like where there's it doesn't end where you know it's just like oh guess what the next person's going to be king it's kind of more like the dread never goes away you know and right. now the people have to deal with it for real and what it mm-hmm. what kind of deal would they make you know remind you yeah. the quote the quote that um uh uh Barrett uh Sundarian made to John about how uh, you know death is the enemy and uh it's death is always going to win but we we've, we've got to keep fighting anyways yeah well, how about this one? Um, maybe if, because we were talking about Craster before, maybe they, ha- maybe like how this thing <laughs> ends. And they're kind of on a time crunch now if Cersei really is pregnant, by the way. I wanted to mention that too. Um, maybe this whole thing ends with Cersei giving her baby to the White Walkers. Like that's like, they have to like restart the Craster deal because they're never going to defeat them and they have to make a deal with them and they have to let them continue to live. And this is the only way. And then so Cersei has to give up her baby. That'd be messed up. <laughs> she wouldn't like that. No, well, right? More giving up babies. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but that would be kind of, that'd be messed up. But hey, that's something that um, since we're just drawn here, I, you know, if Cersei really is pregnant, then they kind of have given themselves a little bit of a, they got to be a little bit more wary of the time stuff, just a little. I mean, it's only nine months. Yeah, but mm-hmm. if it's going to be 18 months to get the next episode, then the baby will be already a year and a half. <laughs> hey, it'll be, be the baby's year old birthday. 
hey, DJ, I haven't heard anyone say this. Who, maybe that's the first scene of uh, season eight. Thirsty giving that's birth. That's it. Just, be, just because she's pregnant doesn't mean that she'll necessarily have the child. Based oh, on that's the fact true, that too. She was prophesied to only have three children. That's if you believe prophecies. Right, but right. they broke with that, too. Because remember in the show, she actually had four kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I consider that one a continuity error, but you're right. And that, that's also, yeah. a lot of that stuff is similar to what happened with Danny. It, it could be just power of suggestion. You know, someone just says oh, something to you, and yeah. now you live your whole life thinking that's the way. Or you know, the King. Break the wheel. Maybe that was the Night King. All right, now we're getting out there. It's, it's I'm just late. kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there. See, that's why I, 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 I do have to say, if the show ever does go there, they've got to play it out completely then and there, right? You can't... You no, can't you can't drag that along. Yes, you can't drag that along or introduce that as some kind of plot point because, it, you know, or have them solve it or something like that. So... If it does actually go there, we're probably not going to know that until like the last scene of the show, you know, because otherwise, then it negates everything that follows. It ha- that has to be the beginning. Or right? everybody dies except for baby Sam, baby John, or Aegon Targaryen and baby uh, Lannister. The three of them yeah. are the only ones left in the world, and then they repopulate. And also, I want to know this. Okay, oh, the Danny thing. If Danny, okay. First of all, <laughs> I know that they don't. I mean, I don't know what they know back then, but maybe it seems to me that if Danny is like, if she's not getting her period, right? then that's why I like that whole thing about where, where she was like, I can't get pregnant. But do they know about this? I, I, I don't know what they know, you know? Like, I don't know if the book, what the book says about things like that. Well, I, I will tell you that in the book, she continued to have her period. So it, okay. wasn't, it okay. wasn't that. Because there's, there's a scene towards the end of the um of the last book that's out, I don't feel like this is any significant information or anything, but where she could potentially be having a miscarriage she's having such a heavy period, and she's thinking in her mind when was the last time that she missed her period. So she was still menstruating. Okay, all right. Okay, that's it. That's it. Thank you. That's and in the show, I mean, maybe they're not going to have a conversation about that. It seems right. like Jon Snow would be like the least likely man ever to want <laughs> to to broach that subject, you know? Um, right. He's not exactly a talker. That's you know? what Sunday uh, <laughs> Yeah. But, um, I, I, it, you know, uh, who knows whether, I just ask this, it's like who knows whether that's real or not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but my question is, how is it that John can have kids when he died? Like, I guess he's, you know, I would think that maybe one kind of side effect of dying and being brought back to life is that your 
maybe sterile. Maybe that doesn't work the same. But I guess he were you know. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be able to know if he's shooting blanks, though. There'd be no way for him to know that. Wow, this turned into the tinfoil hat theory cast. This is great. Uh, when you have, <laughs> DJ, you don't have kids, so you know I've trust me, I've had these conversations. <laughs> but uh, you know, so I just think that it's that's interesting too. I just thought that that was weird. That at some point somebody's got to bring that up. I bet you there's going to be a joke or there's going to be some reference to it in the next season. Either right. that or Amelia, Amelia Clark's going to be the, the spokesperson for the EPT pregnancy test pen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, with her seeing the scars that he had on his chest, I mean, I guess that was supposed to make us uh, feel that, that, you know, then she understood that, that, uh, there was something that happened to him, but I still would like mm-hmm. to see a conversation where she finds out that he had actually died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I think, Ooh, you're I think... so hot. Tell me about these scars. <laughs> yeah. Well, they always say chicks dig scars, right? That's what they say. Um, but you're right though, Susan, that's, that's, uh, uh, and I would like to see that conversation because I think that, it may be of interest to her, right, that he was brought back by uh, Melisandre, you know, in the name of the Lord of Light, and they love Danny. So it's like, you know what I mean? It would almost kind of be like, oh, you're down with the Lord of Light too? (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) kind of? Like, you're kind of the most powerful person to them, but you don't really believe it, you know? They'd kind of be like, yeah, isn't it funny? They love us. We're like superstars, and we don't really, we're not really even that into it. I think that's also kind of funny. She that tried, she tried to uh, save her other husband, and uh, that didn't go so well. So it'd be interesting for her to to see somebody who has to successfully go through something like that. Oh, that is when, a great, wow! When she when she point. tried to when she tried to save him by putting the pillow on his face and, and suffocating him to death. Oh, that that saving. <laughs> No, but really, no. Susan, that, that's a great point. That is, I had never thought of that. Mm-hmm. I had never thought of that, that he actually, that she had experienced that with Drogo, and now here she is with a dude who did come back to life. That's kind of interesting. Was there, is there any, was there any prophecy stuff for her or anything about was that ever mentioned? Is there anything like that? Oh, like in the books or anything? Stuff about Daenerys, but I don't know anything about uh, you know rising, you know somebody having come back from the dead for her. Uh, uh, other than the fact that the the prophecy that Mary Mazur gives her is about when she asks when will Drogo be like he is, and you know she tell and that's the whole thing where she thinks that she's being told that she's going to be sterile because she, she tells her when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east and you know, all this stuff and the last thing is and when your womb quickens and you bear a living child then will he be as he was before hmm interesting so is Drogo going to come back to life now because she gets pregnant <laughs> yeah well, no, of course he's come back as John... one of the dead oh wow but, but John is in a, then Maybe that kind of fits that. Right. 
Right. Well, maybe you shouldn't yeah. believe crazy priestesses and witches. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> maybe none of that shit hey, matters. You know, I wanted she, to ask. Uh, I, I, I do want to get going in a second. Wow, we've been talking for like an hour already. It's awesome. But um, I wanted to ask both of you, because I was thinking about this this afternoon. Do you think anybody, do you think that they're going to start making people come back as whites next year? Like, do you think that's going to become a thing? Because it could. Like, as the battle mm-hmm. rages, you know, it, we could see, who knows, Jorah, you know? Or then, you know, two episodes later, the hound gets turned, gets killed and turned, you know? Or, like, mm-hmm. do you think they're going to do, like, they do that in, the, like, The Walking Dead, you know? I mean, it's different, but, you know, I, I don't want to say what no. Do you think? They could, but I want to say no. It would be cheesy. Like if, like if your Gret came back as one of the dead, and she like sees John holding hands with Danny, she flips, flips out. But she was burned. Her body was burned, so she can't do that. <laughs> but not um, according to the screenshot from episode one. Uh, okay. Well, um, you know there have been conversations about that for the last few years. You know, when are we going to see some beloved character uh, come right, back? Right. In, in an undead state, and uh, you know, I don't know. I'm really not sure if they're going to go there or not. You know, so I've heard. Yeah, no, I'm not. Inter- yeah, I'm not talking about uh, the infamous lady. I'm I'm talking more about just with will it become a facet of this battle? Because it's something mm-hmm. that they've talked about so much, like not as a huge plot point. But more no. so, like even in the heat of one episode, like yeah, like at Hard Home, but with people we know. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah, didn't yeah, I just say that? Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, that's what people have been talking about. Is that it's going to pull on our heartstrings if we see, say, Hodor or you know somebody else that we cared about who has died, you know, being then in that state of being a, a white that. It, I don't think it would be a significant plot point, but it's a matter of whether they're going to throw that in the mix to just make it that much more difficult for our characters to have to deal with and for us as the audience. Yeah, right. But I like the way you said it, Tim, where, like, Cardholm, right, like, just in the, in, we're going to have to get battles and people are going to die. And unlike... I said in the beginning yeah. of the show, we, we were kind of talking about how you defeat the whites. And I, I, I said, like, is there going to be, like, a battalion that just sits with fire and just constantly burns bodies so that they don't turn? Like, because that's going to be crucial. You won't have enough time in battle right. to burn all the bodies. You, you're worried yeah. about surviving. You're, you're not worried about now you got to burn this body and then fight these dead people or dead whites or whatever they're called. Yeah. Yeah, that's conundrum. a good point, too. Yeah, and it's not like, and it's not Walking Dead style where they could just make sure to, like, turn around and stick the dead guy through the head. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. So yeah, they would have, they to, have burn to burn them. Yeah, and which creates, which is impossible. It's impossible to do that. Yeah, especially if everything's snow covered, how are you going to keep the flame lit? And if it goes out in the snow, I mean, there's yeah. a whole bunch of, it, it, you know, it's, it's not like you, you, you know, you're going to set the whole place on fire because yeah. it'll just go right out. 
I think we're going to see it. This has convinced me that we're going to see it. I think within the confines of a battle, I think we're definitely going to see one of our heroes die, come back as a white, and have to be re-killed or something. With it, with, I think it definitely, now that I've convinced myself of it. Do you all you want to hear your best anti-prophecy quote from the book? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it's short. Okay. It, it's, it's a little, uh, language isn't so great here, but anyways. Uh, a prophecy is like a treacherous woman. She takes your member in her mouth and you moan with the pleasure of it. You think, how sweet, how fine, how good this is. And then her teeth snap shut and your moans turns screams that is the nature of prophecy. Prophecy will bite your prick off every time. <laughs> that's, that's, like, uh, that's like us talking theories on Game of Thrones. <laughs> right, don't believe the hype. <laughs> yeah, so no, that, there you go. That's the, that's the favorite uh, quote about that when, they're, when somebody's really questioning it. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, that, I think that's going to end it for me. Susan's taking us out. Thank you, yeah. DJ, for having me on the show. For sure. This was a, a much welcomed addition to the show. This was so cool that you just hopped on at the end and you just, like, really put the whole icing on a tremendous sheet cake. So this was, this was good. You really you really did uh, did us some service here. We had This was like an all-star podcast. We had Susan... <laughs> Matt, Roberto, you, uh, this is this, this is good stuff. I like this. I like where it's taking us. Uh, Kelly's in the chat and she's talking and she she missed out, so we might get another one of these in soon and uh, get Kelly on and maybe have Susan back. And we're definitely going to do a lot of stuff in the off season. But thank you, Axel, and thank you, Susan, for calling up and participating. Sounds great. Thank you. And yes, Axel took us to a whole new level. <laughs> oh wow. We all do oh. it together. This, we're the hive mind. <laughs> and I just want to say, if anybody does want to talk to me any further about Song of Ice and Fire, I, I've forgotten the last couple times I was on to just say that I, I do have a, a Twitter account at uh, Black Eyed Lily is, is the account. Yes. Definitely follow it, everyone. And we're, you, can, you, you can, if you're following us, you know that we're always retweeting the words yeah. of wisdom. Yeah, baby. Well, hey, DJ, I just want to say fantastic season, man. Congrats. And, yeah, we, you know, whenever you want to, you know, you know the deal. You're going to throw yeah. down and do a call-in. You're going to to throw down and do a call-in, man. Keep it talk to you style, baby. That's it. All right. Thanks for calling in, brother. I'm going to yeah, end the show nothing. now. And, uh, yeah, hey, I just want to say congratulations, DJ. You've done a – this is, you know – You've had a great season, and I just want to give you props for holding it down every night, every Monday for eight weeks in a row. So I'm going to give a round of applause to DJ Tim Hines. It was seven because you did the first one, but, yeah, we're, we're rocking it. Oh, well, you were with me in spirit, baby. Well, I guess, yeah, this is the eighth, I guess, because this is an extra one. So you're right. I'm wrong. But, yeah, either way, this is awesome. I, uh... You know, I'm glad we uh, made it happen, keeping Podcast Winterfell alive. Yeah, man. All right. Well, good night. Good night, Susan. Take care. All right. Take care, Axel. Ladies and gentlemen, 
we are into the three-hour and change mark, and this has just been a phenomenal discussion. Uh, we had just some, like I said a couple of minutes ago, all-stars. We had the best of the best on tonight, and we really went heavy into speculating and, and analyzing and looking at everything from a broader broader uh, perspective. And uh, this was this was so broad, it was like panoramic. So I want to thank all of you for listening, downloading, streaming, or reading the dictated notes of the transcript of the, of the whole conversation. However you listen or get it or absorb it, I appreciate it. We love you guys. Uh, and just want to remind you that you got to stick with us. DVRpodcast.com. DVR Podcast on Twitter, at DVR Podcast. You got to get on there and check our stuff out because we're going to be bringing a lot of other podcasts. Um, I haven't dropped inside DJ's DVR yet. That's that's still getting tweaked out. There's no it's a slow slow time right now in TV, and uh, I'm prepping for the fall schedule. So uh, I will get that out soon, and that's going to be available on DVR Podcast Network. So you will, our main hub is DVRpodcast.com. Stick with us. Go there. We have the Patreon slash DVR. Uh, we've got a bunch of loyal patrons. We thank you all for keeping us afloat and keeping us inspired to keep this going because this is a lot of fun and the interaction with our fans and our community is even better. It makes it so worthwhile. So for myself, Tim Zora Ahai, the DJ that was promised, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in and stay tuned because more will be coming your way from Podcast Winterfell and DVR Podcast Network. Thank you. Valamore Podcast.